for NASCAR Weekend Preview of Atlanta with Hot Topic Sound Off at 10 p.m. tonight. Now, joining us uh, for as a guest tonight is uh, Sarah Burgess, the ARCA West driver driving the number 88 with BMI Racing. And joining me for the show tonight is our co-host, Jay Huseman. Welcome to the show, Jay. Thank you, Sharon. Another wonderful Thursday night as the weather has passed through here, us in uh, Mississippi, Alabama area. So uh, good to go for tonight and excited about it. Yes, indeed. Uh, I had the same thing here. We had uh, really high winds, and uh, I kept getting the Internet down. But uh, hopefully we're past that, and uh, we're ready to go here for tonight if the weather does pass. All right. Now, in our first half hour, Jay, we are going to get into some updates from the Arca Menard Series, the Arca East, and the Arca West Series at 840 our guest, Bridget Burgess, comes on board uh, as part of the conversation, and we're going to be talking to her about her race at Phoenix and what she expects for the race rest of the season. She's racing full-time this year with uh, BMI Racing, and this is the only mother-daughter team in ARCA. So that's pretty exciting. It certainly is. I uh, can't wait to have her come on here. Super excited she has gotten a sponsorship package to uh, contend and run all year for the Arkham Menards West. You know, we like to see that uh, versus uh, part-times here and there. I know some people, that's how they got to start. But to be able to put that package together and go for the uh, entire year is great news. Oh, definitely. At 9 o'clock in our next half hour, we are going to preview. Uh, we're going to do something a little bit different. The Southwest, the SRL Southwest Tour is having their winter showdown uh, this weekend at Kern County Raceway. So we're going to give you a few news and notes of the winter showdown. It's becoming a big event across the country, uh, similar to the winter, similar to the Snowball Derby that takes place down in Pensacola, Florida. Uh, it's building momentum. This is the sixth annual winter showdown, so we'll talk a little bit about that. Then we preview the NASCAR Truck Series in Atlanta, and then in our third half hour, we'll get into the NASCAR Xfinity Series and the Cup Series at Atlanta. Then 10 o'clock, of course, is our Hot Topic Sound Off with our Fan for Racing crew. Uh, unfortunately, we thought Andy was going to be joining us tonight, uh, but uh, his work schedule is preventing that. So it will be you and Tommy tonight, Jay. All right. Well, uh, I don't know if uh, you reached out if Owen was available. I know on a late notice, but... Uh, Tommy, a great addition we've had on here multiple times now in the last couple of weeks. It has been so, so great. I mean, uh, you know, you, Andy, uh, myself, and Mike uh, spent most of last year together. Get these couple new in here uh, and mix it up with us has been really uh, refreshing, if you will. Yes, indeed. Uh, Owen is only available on Monday nights, unfortunately, so I can't ask him for a Thursday night. But uh, definitely, uh, we're looking forward to having Tommy on board with us. Okay, let's go ahead and get into the Arkham Menard Series. Uh, we're going to have to wait for the next set of races in the Arkham Menard Series. Uh, the very first race coming up isn't until next month, 
and that is for the Arkham Menards Series itself. They'll be racing the General Tire 200 on April the 24th at, at 1 o'clock Eastern time, and that's going to be a Talladega Super Speedway, so that's going to be a fun one. It will be televised on Fox Sports 1. Well, a super speedway race is, is eventful no matter what the series, and we've seen some great races. We've seen some wreck fests. I mean, that's all part of it. So uh, we talk about it as each race goes by, the separation and the cream rising to the top. Talladega wild card kind of puts it back into a mix of, of anything could happen coming out of there. Yes, indeed. You never know what's going to happen at Talladega. That's what makes it so much fun to watch. All right, next up is uh, May 8th at uh, 9 p.m. Eastern Time. The Music City 200 for the ARCA East will take place at the Nashville Fairground Speedway, and that will be uh, live-streamed on TrackPath. And uh, I don't have my book open, but I'll check and and we'll find out uh, a little bit later. Uh, That will take place on TrackPath. And, again, I'm not sure if there is a delayed broadcast. Yes, there is. The delayed broadcast is Thursday, May the 13th, and that's 1 p.m. Eastern. So uh, fans will definitely want to mark their calendars for that one. Now, this is, this one, the East Series, uh, excites me a little bit. Uh, again, we've only had one Wex race so far, but the East Series, we've had two already, and when I say the cream rises to the top, there's a lot of cream here that could be rising to the top on the east. Sammy Smith and Max Gutierrez both already have wins, sitting first and third in the points respectively. The Taylor Gray is in between them still with uh, two top fives, and we've had seven drivers all have top ten finishes in those races. So that points battle there is certainly going to be uh, a tight one, and they are racing at such a wild card like Talladega, so... It's a matter of the top guys are probably going to still be the top guys. Okay. Now, if you listen to our show on Monday night, I told everyone that our guest tonight was going to be Max Gutierrez. Unfortunately, uh, he had some unexpected things come up, and he was not able to be on the show tonight. When, with a little bit of help today, we were able to get Sarah Burgess to take his place. But do know and mark your calendar for this, Max Gutierrez is rescheduled for April the 15th. uh, And that's the first available date that I had for him. So look for Max Gutierrez to be on Fan for Racing Radio on March 15th. Uh, Next up, we do have the Arkham and Art Series West. We just watched them race this past weekend at uh, Phoenix Raceway. And on June the 5th at Well, this is 2 p.m. Pacific time. I believe that's going to be 4 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, No, that's going to be 5 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, They will be racing the General Tire 125 at Sonoma Raceway. So that's going to be a road course. Uh, And we usually see a couple of other drivers kind of jump into the entry list for this one anytime it's on a, a road course like this. That, too, is going to be live-streamed on Track Pass. And uh, I think I saw earlier that, um, no, Sonoma is going to have the delayed broadcast as well. That will be on Wednesday. Uh, and it doesn't say 
the following Wednesday, I'm going to say, uh, I believe that would be Wednesday, June the 9th, and that would be at 4 p.m. Eastern Time. So, uh, again, mark your calendar for that one. That's going to be a fun race on the road course. Uh, definitely road courses always add that little bit of twists and turns, if you will, not just a wide open wild card, but a twist and turns to it. Uh, and there again, we have seen some great battles and I know that's why at the cup level, they added a few more road courses this year because they know that's what fans like to see and watch. Okay. And then the last race uh, is actually the suit chief uh, showdown. It's the first Sioux Chief Showdown event. The Toledo 200 will take place on May the 22nd at 8 p.m. Eastern Time at Toledo Toledo Speedway and will be televised on MAV TV. So we've got a lot of racing to look forward to here in the Arkham Art Series. We certainly do, and I, I really applaud NASCAR for their involvement. I know they've always kind of worked with the Arkham Art Series, but taking it over and the way they're developing everything and the Sioux Chief Showdown plan that they have come with. A lot of drivers, if they're too young and cannot run the entire season based on uh, the bigger tracks, the Sioux Chief Showdown kind of gives them a championship they can run after, and it's open to the East and the West uh, as well, so we get to see a lot of different competition within that. So I think that just adds another element, and it is for the drivers. I mean, it benefits the drivers, again, the younger developing drivers. Without a doubt. Now, our guest is here, Jay, so I'm going to bring her into the queue, and we'll go ahead and get started. And, Sarah, let me start off first by saying thanks so much for uh, stepping in tonight and being on our show. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Well, Sarah, I was very excited when I found out that uh, you were going to be on the show tonight because uh, you and BMI Racing are the very first mother-daughter racing team. And that has to be kind of an exciting endeavor for you uh, to be the first to do that. Definitely exciting, um, very different. Um, My mama and I, we work really hard for what we do. So I love having her as my crew chief and as my mom at the racetrack. Exactly. And and uh, she, the BMI racing is managed by your mom too, is that right? By you and yeah. your mom? Yeah, she's uh, definitely the manager of the team also. Um, she's taught me so much uh, between driving and also sponsorships. And she does work really hard for us to get to the next race. And the fact that she's your crew chief, too, that that is just amazing. So I love seeing that uh, in our sport. And uh, I'm just going to say we've got uh, with us tonight the co-host of the show, and that is Jay Huseman. I'm going to pass the baton over to him. I know he's got a couple of questions for you as well. Okay. Jay? Well, first first off, I want to say, too, it's great to have you on. Um, talk about getting this this deal together to run the full Arkham Menards West Series here with the sponsor that, that you've brought together. Talk about putting that package together. Um, so, yeah, we wanted to, like, definitely do the full series um, for the whole year just because uh, – that's usually like how we like to race is by doing the full season. 
So we were like, okay, we definitely need to get the money in, uh, and we also need to buy a car because last year uh, we rented a car from Bill McAnally, and it was a gift from him. He's like, you can have it for the year, just take care of it. And when it came to this year, we wanted a better car, so we're like, okay, we'll buy our own car. And it was pretty tough because we had to, like, keep it at a low budget. And um, we finally found one, and it was in North Carolina. So as a family, we went there, checked out the car, and uh, we're like, you know what, this is a really good buy for the price, and we got it. So it's like we rounded up our money from our sponsorships, and we just made it work. Um, We met our minimum budget. And we're pretty comfortable of where we are. So we're excited for what this year holds. Well, you, you touched on something there that, that I wanted to get into of from what we have seen, generally speaking, a, a driver that comes from a self-owned or family-owned team such as yours uh, has more respect for the car, if you will, of, of protecting it. Uh, you know, again, if you're on a limited budget, you, you were talking about the budget, you know you're on a budget of protecting yeah. the car, protecting, your, you know, all that. So talk about that as far as that experience of knowing that versus driving for a team where, you know, a powerhouse Hendrick Motorsports, I'll just say, uh, there's unlimited. They're not unlimited, but obviously more than resources than what you have. Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny you say that. We were talking to um, someone, I forgot who, but, like, they're, they kind of asked, like, oh, do you have a backup car for this year? I was like, nope. But then I just started laughing. It's like, this is what I got. I only have one car, and it's not. It's just for road course and oval, so I make it work. And um, as a team, we make it work, I should say. And yeah, I definitely do have a lot of respect for the car because um, I know if I crash it, I am the one that's going to be fixing it along with my dad. Um, my dad and I are at the shop every day, like, working, getting to the next race. So I have so much respect for the car. I don't want to, like hurt it, but at the same time, I do drive it as hard as I can. Um, For every pass I made at Phoenix, Arizona this year, I did not get one scratch in the car. I did not touch anyone. I did not touch the wall. I'm pretty sure I came close to the wall a few times. I was getting a bit too comfortable, but I did not, like, there is not a scratch on that car. And I was pretty proud of that because in the blue car from last year, from Bill McAnally, um, I didn't exactly get to practice passing anyone because it just wasn't a car to pass anyone but with that car I was really excited um and just passing people not touching anyone keeping it clean but still driving people really hard and that's what I enjoy well and that, that's on the next question I had was about the, your race at Phoenix there uh you had problems about midway through uh, I believe it was a, a fuel pumper uh issue but you brought the car back out just to get the laps, the experience. You couldn't, I think you maybe moved up, what, two spots uh, in the end. But to, to come out and just get those laps and experience, again, while taking care of the car, uh, that that yeah. shows that kind of a drive and motivation. So just talk about that uh, that part of the race, if you will. Um, so that was, I was really bummed out about that because literally I was just about to go on the radio and, you know, thank my team, my parents and my team for the amazing car that we had put together and then like it just starts cutting out and I'm like you know I got oil pressure my temperatures are fine and then my fuel pressure gauge starts flashing I was like dang it what's going on here um and we I pulled it in and I'm already on the radio and I'm coming around turns three and four I'm on the radio to my dad actually I was like I have no fuel pressure I have to come in 
and um, it started to come back, and then it just kept shutting off. So I pulled in, and uh, we got it sorted out. And the reason why I was bummed out is just because I started 24th out of 30 cars, and I was working over 17th place. And when that happened, I was then put 32 laps down, which the reason why I did go back out is because, I, like, I bought the tires, and I didn't think it was, like, worth just saying, oh, you know what, I'm done for the day. I thought the seat time was worth it, um, learning the track more, because I know I'm going to go back there in the future. So I just went back out there for the seat time, passing people for practice. Um, and, yeah, I enjoyed that. Well, and, and there again, I think drivers do learn that. Again, if you can learn to handle it, handle an ill-handling car or you know you're not uh, competitive, the respect given on the track, and I think that does earn you a lot from the other drivers as well, uh, you know, to, seeing that drive, that determination, but also the respect you showed on the track in those laps while you are, uh, whatever you said, 32 laps down. So I think you did, you accomplished a lot of things there by coming back out. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I'm definitely glad I didn't give up on that night because I, I was so happy. Like, even though I was put 32 laps down, I finished 22nd and, you know, again, not a scratch in the car. Um, so I was disappointed, but at the same time, I was happy I got to drive my new car on track. Um, so overall, I think it was a pretty good weekend. All right. Well, I'm going to turn it over back over to Sharon, and uh, hopefully we'll, we'll be uh, reviewing all the races for the Arkham Menards West, and hopefully we can have you on again uh, later on here in the season. Thank you. Okay, Bridget. Uh, again, I'm, I'm very happy to see that you're here with us tonight, and uh, we're talking a lot about the family because uh, – uh, it's yourself, it's your mother, which I'm sorry, I think I called you Sarah earlier, uh, but I heard you also mention your dad. Um, so talk a little bit about the challenges. Is, is it challenging working that closely together as a family because you're, you're together a lot, I'm sure, uh, with with racing. So what are some of the challenges? I, I know that families play an important role in the success of any race car driver, uh, but this is unique. Yeah. Um, it definitely has its moments. Um, like, it has its highs and lows. Uh, like, just before the Phoenix race, you know, it was a bit of a struggle because my mom was stressed, my dad was stressed, and I was stressed. So, we're being a bit harsh on each other a bit sometimes, but, like, we managed to get through it. Um, we, even at our, like, lowest moments, we know that it will be worth it when we get to the race. So um, I think it's also, my dad and I, we're pretty stubborn, so we don't take no for an answer, which is, it's funny at <laughs> times, but um, it has its moments. <laughs> so uh, we, we work together, and um, it's funny because it's, like, we all go to the track and we do our job and then we all come home. So um, it's, yeah, I, I would say it has its moments and sometimes we just need our own space and we respect that, but we're a team and we're a family and we get through it. Absolutely. And be, I think because you are a family, you get through it. Uh, but I think it also helps develop some thick skin. So um, I, I think it's great that you guys are all working together. 
and uh, you're going to be racing the rest of the uh, Arthur West uh, schedule. Is that correct? Yes, the full Arca West schedule. Okay. When you're looking at that schedule, uh, I know you've got to be looking forward to any races at Utah Motorsports Park uh, that's your home track. But what other races are you looking forward to on the schedule? For Arca? Um, I'm looking forward to Portland and Sonoma because they're both road courses. Um, and I've never raced at those tracks, so I've been studying them a lot lately, um, just watching old races from them, whether it's with Cup or Arca. So I know that Arca once went to Portland, like, a while back, like, a long time ago. So, um, Mm -hmm. I'm excited for those ones. I'm sure you are. Uh, and, and I know Utah's not on the schedule this year. So you've got to be disappointed with that because uh, it's been on the schedule the last couple of years. Yeah, so Utah Motorsports Campus was put on the schedule last year, but unfortunately um, I did miss that race just because I didn't have a car ready, uh, which I was extremely bummed out about. I was sitting in the top tower on the French straightaway by myself, and I, I just felt pretty disappointed um, just because it's my favorite track and I felt like um, I would have had the most advantage there because I'm on that track every week um, just driving something for seat time. So it is what it is with that one. Um, Hopefully someday it will come back to Utah Motorsports Campus. Yeah, I hope they do. I really do. I I enjoyed the double header there. Uh, Now, you raced at Phoenix. Uh, and the Phoenix is going to be the season finale this year. Was there anything that you learned from your experience at Phoenix this past weekend that you're going to be able to use at the season finale? Um, you know, I, I learned a lot from the first time with just the speed of the track. I think next time I go there, uh, I'm definitely going to get on the throttle and play with it much more than what I did last time. Uh, and also, I like... I always like testing how close I can get to the wall just to open up the entries on my corners. So I would say, yeah, opening up my corners and also playing with the gas a bit more sooner when I'm in the corners. Okay, and and I I suppose a lot of that comes uh, with having the confidence in the track, and the more you race it, the more confidence you get. Yes, um, going there at the end of the year, I will be very excited because that will be my third time at that track. And every time I get experience in the track, I just get more excited to go to it the next time. So I'm really happy about that. Okay. Well, we're real excited that you are racing in the Arkham and Art Series uh, for the West this year. Uh, I know you've had some selected races with uh, Bill McAnally Racing last year. And uh, this year you're working uh, with your own team, and that's exciting. Uh, anytime we bring a new team into the series, uh, it's an exciting event. And uh, uh, I'm, I'm uh, really wishing you all the best as the season progresses. Uh, what do you do when you're not racing in the Arca West? So what other racing are you involved with? Um, so just this year, uh, I've now entered into the NASA Spec Miata class. Um, 
mainly started off because there was a discussion between me and someone else about doing some open wheel racing, and I was super excited for that. It was uh, Pro Formula Mazda, and I drove the car on track, and I, I loved it. Unfortunately, uh, it wouldn't fit in my schedule for it to be worth my time, so we decided to stick with Spec Miata because I'll be driving that at Sonoma, and it'll, it's just for seat time mainly. So I'm really excited to get into that. It's uh, very slow compared to the NASCAR or ARCA car, I should say. But I think it's really fun because I get to learn more about momentum just because they have little horsepower. So I'm really excited for that. And if I could get into anything else this year, if I have any more opportunities, I'll definitely take it. Okay. Well, that's exciting, Bridget. And, uh, again, we hope that this isn't the last time we get a chance to visit with you. We hope to have you back on the show sometime throughout the season. And uh, we've really enjoyed having the conversation with you here today. Thank you for having me. Okay. Well, thank you. And, and I hope you have a good rest of your evening. And good luck to you, you at the next race. Thank you. Okay. Goodbye. All right, that is Bridget Burgess, and she is racing with BMI Racing, a mother-daughter team in the ARCA West Series this year, and uh, that was a lot of fun to get to know a little bit more about her, uh, Jay. Well, and, and one thing, again, when you ask the question of what tracks are you looking forward to, normally a driver circles ones that, that they've got the experience on, they're good at, they know they can win at, she picked road courses, which she said she had never been to. That tells you what kind of drive determination, uh, you know, she used mm-hmm. the word stubborn with her and her dad. I mean, that, that kind of determination <laughs> of, hey, this is an unknown, I'm going to go get it. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I like that spirit. And, uh, you know, as a, as a female race car driver, you kind of have to have that kind of spirit that whatever it is out there, I'm going to go after it. And I like the fact that she's getting some seat time on the track uh, to kind of get to know it before she gets there to race with the Arkham Menard Series. Uh, so, yeah, really great interview with Bridget Burgess, uh, getting to know her. And uh, I can't wait uh, to see what happens in the next darker race, which, by the way, uh, just, again, I know we already mentioned uh, the Arkham Menard Series racing, the Arca West racing at Sonoma Raceway. That race is on June the 5th uh, at 5 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, you'll be able to watch it on NBC Gold Track Pass. And then the delayed broadcast is Wednesday, June the 9th, at 5 p.m. Eastern, I'm sorry, 4 p.m. Eastern time. So you want to make sure you set your DVRs to catch those races uh, and watch Sarah Bur- I'm sorry, Bridget Burgess as she uh, races at Sonoma Raceway. Uh, so, uh, Jay, I really appreciate you catching that. I had it right on the promotion pieces, but I guess because I was reading the um, – some of the press release information that came out, that was sent to us by Sarah Burgess. So somehow I picked up Sarah's name and and used that instead of Bridget's name when I put out the uh, social media promo. So and, And then I called her Sarah Burgess. So I apologize for that, everybody. 
and especially to to uh, Bridget. Uh, we talked with Bridget Burgess here tonight. Well, and that's why I said I was trying to trying to find the info. Uh, you know, I had read it earlier in the day, and that's why I was like, maybe I was off, and that's why before you turned it over to me, and that's as you turned it over, I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> So that that was my mistake, and I apologize for it. So with that, Jay, uh, I do want to get into, and and this is something that uh, I don't know if you've been with uh, Sal and I for a while, you know that he likes to talk. <clears throat> excuse me, he likes to talk about the Southwest, the FRL Southwest tour, but especially about the 2021 Winter Showdown. So this one's for you, Sal, in case you're listening. We are going to do a preview of the SRL Winter Showdown that's taking place this weekend uh, out at Kern County Raceway. So it'll be on March the 20th, uh, and that's the Spears Modified. They're going to participate in their uh Spears Manufacturing Winter Showdown 60 is is the sixth annual Winter Showdown 150. So um, uh, again, I'm very excited uh, that this is taking place. So that's two different events. There's going to be the Winter Showdown with the 150. That's the that's the late models, and then there's going to be the Spears Manufacturing Winter Showdown 60 with the Sears Modified. So uh, the Sears Modified will have that $2,500 payday. So the 150 will have a $5,000 payday. And they're going to kind of break it up, uh, which makes it kind of unique, Sal, if you want to cover that up. Because well, it's actually uh, more than 5000 yeah, and you mentioned Sal there. Uh, hopefully, I know he's still recovering from his surgery. Hopefully, this does lift his spirits as he's recovering. I'm sure he would have liked to have been the one to help do the preview for this. But they do have a unique format. Uh, the showdown for the super late models, we'll see 150 laps of competition with a halfway break at lap 75. Now, half the purse will be awarded at that juncture. But the championship points are not awarded until the completion of lap 150, or another 5,000 will be paid to the, both, to the leader at both lap 75 and then lap 150 for a possible $10,000 uh, payday. Whoa. Now I've got to find my spot. Mm-hmm. scroll down too far. Okay, so $10,000 payday. Uh, single car qualifying will be followed by three eight-lap qualifying heat races to set the starting lineup for the feature event. The top eight cars in qualifying will then draw for position in their heat race, then race for their opportunity to sit on the pole for the prestigious event. The remaining cars will be split into odd and even heat races to set the remainder of the field. Oh, did I go into... Okay. Uh, The Spears Modified Series, that'll be set through qualifying with the 60-lap main event starting the future action at 2 p.m. Pacific time. Uh, and that also the Kern County Superstocks will also join the action and lead off there earlier in the day at 12.45 p.m. Uh, Pacific time. Okay. So, uh, and this is really good news, especially out in the West, 
Uh, they've been on lockdown with the pandemic, and fans are going to be allowed to purchase a fan cast at this weekend's event at Kern County Raceway. Uh, they can get that at the box in my office. Uh, admission gates are going to open at 11 a.m. Pacific time. So how exciting is that, <laughs> that the fans are back at the track? Uh, that's, that's huge. Also, broadcast for those unable to attend the event is going to be aired live at spiritsracing.tv. So you'll be able to watch this race live at that website, and it will also be available on a delayed basis on MAV-TV and Motorsports Network. So check the local listings for when that airs on those two networks. Uh, but you will be able to watch the live action. Again, I'm going to repeat that at SpearsRacing.tv. So that's that's pretty exciting as well. That is, and like you mentioned, this on the West Coast for sure, uh, a big late model event, uh, starting to rival and, and get uh, noticed just as the Snowball Derby here in Pensacola. And with that, one of the previous winners, uh, the only actual previous uh, winner, showdown winner, currently entered is Derek Thorne. Uh, Thorne was the victor back in 2017. But as a total, there'll be 28 Spears SRL Southwest Tour Series Super Late Models entered for this weekend's actions. Six states represented on the roster. And it looks like 23 Spears Modifieds are also entered for their event, representing four states. Okay, and there's some hot drivers to watch this weekend, including Preston Peltier. We've had him on our show here. We'll look, he's looking for his second Spears SRL Southwest Tour Series victory in a row. He won last year uh, the Sunrise Ford All-Star Showdown 200 at Irwindale Speedway. Uh, worth 300, I'm sorry, worth $30,000. Peltier has winter showdown finishes of 5th, 13th, 7th, 21st, and 3rd. But there's a couple of other hot drivers to watch this weekend, Jay. Yeah, the hot one, number two, that'd be Jeremy Doss, and he'll enter his first Spears Modified Series winter showdown event. Doss is coming off a win in the season opener, which is predicated by three previous modified series wins in a row. He also scored the first two Spears Pro Late Model Series victories of the season, worth 22500 combined. Doss will look for his fifth Kern County Raceway Touring Series victory after securing three in the modifieds and a single win in the Spears Southwest Tour Series. So a lot of uh, top-notch action going to be happening here. Uh, yes, I uh, am looking forward to it. In fact, uh, you know, Kern County Raceway is located in Bakersfield, and there's some local drivers uh, that are going to be participating. Uh, Bakersfield Buddy Shepherd was the pole winner in 2018's version of the showdown, and he also ran a perfect season in the track's NASCAR late model division in 2016, winning all nine feature events. Now, he's going to be one to watch after commencing his Spears SRL Southwest Tour Series Rookie of the Year effort with a fourth-place finish uh, last year in the Sunrise Ford All-Star Showdown. 
but there's some other drivers that are going to be crossing the country to get here. Well, and this is this is one of those drivers we talk about having that experience across the board. Uh, Kale Kanke will participate in a sport mod at the Dirt Nationals, Dirt Track Nationals at Bristol Motor Speedway Friday night, then make his way to Kern County Raceway Saturday morning to qualify for the winter showdown in his super late model. Kane is making the effort in hopes of running the, two, the full 2021 SRL season. And that ability, that tells you the ability of a driver that can jump from dirt to uh, asphalt in the, in the same weekend. Yes, indeed. Now, this next driver I'm going to talk about, you'll recognize because he's racing uh, in ARCA this year. It's the 2019 Spears SRL champion, Cole Moore, is teaming up with Robbins White Racing to take part in the 2021 Winter Showdown. Lenny White and Cole Moore battled down to the last event uh, in 2019 with Moore pulling up a slim 10-point victory in the championship. Moore is taking the wheel of the Hamke, formerly Rowdy Manufacturing chassis, that White drove to the runner-up finish in 2019. Moore is also the teammate to his father, John Moore, who's racing with Robin's White Racing this season. So uh, you've got a father-son duo racing this weekend. Well, well, we take a quick look at the history of the event. Go back to 2015, where the event originated, paying 25000 to win in the super late model event. Talk about crossing the country. Bubba Pollard, Bubba Pollard came from Sonoya, Georgia, to take that inaugural event, fending off Derek Thorne and then Dalton Sargent to score that rich win. Thorne had led a race high 145 of the 250 laps that make up the event, only to come home third. And then Blaine Roca and Preston Peltier, you mentioned, rounded out the top five where 53 cars were attending. Derek Thorne set fast time, and Dylan Capello was the, only, was the winner of the modified feature, which at that time had over the uh, had 16 entrants. Okay, we'll take a look at a year-by-year history here. Uh, in 2016, the second running of the Winter Showdown found 43 cars in the pitch area. Bubba Pollard was once again the victor, earning $25,000 after Derek Thorne broke a rear end while leading on lap 72. David Mayhew and Grayson Raz took turns at the front before Pollard pulled away for the win. Now, Raz and teammate Noah Gregson, another name you're familiar with, made news after colliding and eliminating Raz. That sounds like a familiar story. Parker Stevens finished second with Jeremy Doss, Tyler Tanner, and a recovering Noah Gregson, rounding out the top five. Derek Thorne once again set a fast time over the field. Ryan Partridge scored the victory in the 80-lap modified feature over the 25-car field. Austin Barnes was second, followed by Taylor Minich, Minch and Travis Thurkettle and Matthew Hicks. So uh, that's what happened. That is what happened in 2016 at the Winter Showdown. Well, and we want to bring some good news to it for 2017. 
after coming close in 15 and sporting the fastest car in 16, Derek Thorne finally able to score his first winner showdown victory, this one worth $30,000. Thorne dominated, winning, won in dominating fashion, leading all 250 laps to score the victory over Donnie Wilson, Kyle Busch, Eric Jones, and Willie Allen. Thorne again had set fast time for the third consecutive event in over a 47-car entry. For Thorne, it was a breakthrough event, though, a long time in the making as we've looked at his history at the track. Now, in the Modifieds, it was Austin Barnes scoring the victory over a 22-car field, followed by Scott Winters, Ryan Partridge, Jason Irwin, and Travis Thurkettle. Okay, in 2018, for the first time in Winter Showdown history, Derek Thorne did not set the fast time for the event. Fellow Bakersfield, California competitor Buddy Shepard did the honors, garnering, garnering the extra $2,000 bonus. Two-time NASCAR Cup Series champion Kyle Busch had the last lap, though, because he scored the $30,000 win over the 48-car field. Thornton led 72 laps that they did on the long runs, allowing Busch to lead the other 228 laps in the now 300-lap event. But as Shepard won a thrilling battle over Daniel Hemrick in the closing laps to finish his runner-up, and Hamrick was third, followed by Ty Majeski and Noah Gregson. The modifieds were not scheduled in the 2018 edition of the showdown. So we hear some really familiar names in that year uh, that tells you how, uh, how much uh, notoriety this event has gotten. It most certainly has. In 2019, we had a little bit of threatening weather forecast throughout the weekend. So some last-minute dropouts cut the entry field to 38 super late models, with 37 surviving to start the 300-lap event. Uh, rain did interrupt Friday's qualifying day, so the lineup was set based off of a combined practice session, which means Jeremy Doss earned the pole and led the most laps in the event. Doss battled up Preston Peltier and Ty Majeski for the win before the race was called due to a power outage in the area. Ironically, only after a few minutes of after Majeski was declared the winner, the power was restored. Now, they only completed 177 of the 300 laps. Derek Thorne was in the runner-up position, followed by Preston Peltier, Willie Allen, and Ryan Reed. Uh, many of the top competitors were taken out of the huge out of the event uh, in a huge lap 115 restart that involved nearly half the field. Back on the schedule, the Spheres modified. Trevor Cristani uh, scored his first showdown win over a 19-car field, while Kyle Telstrom came home second, with Ryan Shitaru, uh, Dylan Capello, and Justin Johnson rounding out the top five. That brings us to 2020. And unfortunately, because of the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, the Winter Showdown was not held that year. It hit only a week before the scheduled race date last year. So that means that this 2021 version is something that a lot of fans are definitely looking forward to finally taking place. And uh, an old friend of ours, Dylan Lupton, is going to be in that race in the number four uh, but I'm trying to see Cole Raz, the younger brother of Grayson Raz, 
is on the entry list here, as is Buddy Shepard. You heard us mention him a few times. Uh, let's see, John Moore and Kale Kanke. We mentioned both of those drivers. Derek Thorne is back, so that's bad news for all the competitors. Uh, Dean Thompson, we've had him on the show earlier this year. He's racing in the Arkham and Arts Series. Carlos Sierra has also been on our show, and Preston Peltier. Christian McGee was on earlier this year. He's going to be in this event. Austin Thorne is also racing. And uh, Cole Moore, which we talked about along with uh, Blaine Rocha. Uh, There's a bunch of other people that we didn't mention, uh, but this is going to be very exciting, Jay. It is, and I know that with the way, uh, again, looking at a normal schedule, we would have been doing part of the West Coast Swing at the NASCAR Cup level, and so that's why some of those names you saw were out in that area for their series, the Cup level. Um, the way it played out this year, they're not overlapping like that. Um, but again, right. any kind of news like that, you get the positive. This is where other drivers can make their name, and it will become a household name by the time we do another five-year review down the road. <laughs> yes, indeed. All right. Uh, we are now going to start our review, a preview of the Camping World Truck Series, and they are racing the Freight Auctions 200 at Atlanta Motor Speedway this Saturday, March the 20th at 2.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Now, it will be televised on Fox Sports 1 with pre-race coverage starting at 1.30 p.m. Eastern and radio coverage on MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR radio. They're racing a distance of 200.02 miles over 130 laps, and the first two stages are 30 laps each, with stage two ending on lap 60, and the final stage ending on the last lap, lap 130. So uh, let's go over the uh, rookie update real quick. All right. Well, not much change there atop the board following the third race that was at Las Vegas Motor Speedway two weeks ago. Chandler Smith continues to lead over Carson Horsivore by a significant uh, points total following the trio of opening races in the Camping World Truck Series. Smith was the highest finishing rookie contender for the second week in a row, uh, finishing 19th there at Vegas. Horsivore was 24th. Uh, Shakeup, though, was down further in the standings. Chase Purdy and Chris Wright moved up past Haley Deegan into third and fourth, respectively, coming on the heels of the 23rd place finish by Purdy and Wright 25th. Deegan ended up with a 28th place result. So Chandler Smith currently sits at 90 points with two awards. Hoslar, 68 points, one award. And then Purdy, Wright, and Haley Deegan at 39, 37, and 35. Okay, and this is, the the contest really is uh, third through, uh, what is that, fifth, Uh, and those guys are separated by just those four points, and it's going to bounce all over the place as the season progresses. Okay. I certainly think so, yeah. (laughs) Okay, next up is John Hunter Nemechek. He gambles on on himself, and it pays off at Las Vegas. He's the most recent winner. But during the offseason, John Hunter Nemechek surprised many people 
when he announced that he was returning to the Camping World Truck Series after his first full-time year in the Cup Series competition. His reason for pairing up with uh, Kyle Busch Motorsports for the 2021 season was clear. It was because he wanted to win. Well, guess what? He accomplished that mission. Two weeks ago, Nemechek led his truck owner across the line to win his first of the season at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. It was his seventh overall victory of the series, and it was his first Camping World Truck Series victory since the spring Martinsville race in 2018. The win also marks the first for Nemechek for a team other than Nemco Motorsports, uh, which is owned by his dad, Joe. But the Vegas celebration still had a strong family connection as the Nemechek's became the very first father-son pairing to win at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. Uh, Joe won the Xfinity Series race there in 2003. Now, with the series now heading to Atlanta Motor Speedway this Saturday for the Freight Auctions 200, Nemechek has to feel pretty confident that he can continue to win. Excuse me. His first two career wins came on 1.5-mile tracks, including the 2016 victory at, just where, at Santa. It was the second race of the season. The win at Las Vegas uh, brought an additional early early season accolade to Nemechek. He took over the series points lead from Ben Rhodes, and now holds a 14-point advantage over the driver who won the very first two races so far this season. Now, next up, we have uh, Bill Lester. And I want to just mention, Jay, we had him on the show on Monday night. And, uh, well, you were there. Uh, I really enjoyed the interview that we had with him. And if you haven't, listen to that. I would really encourage everybody to go back and take a listen. Uh, the interview with Bill Lester starts at the second half hour of the show. <clears throat> yeah, most certainly you want to go back and listen to it. A uh, great interview with Bill Lester as he joins the field here in Atlanta. He made his first of two NASCAR Cup Series starts at Atlanta Motor Speedway back in 2006 and now 15 years later returns to the scene to race the number 17 Ford team for DGR this weekend. When Lester took the green flag that year, he was the first black driver to race in the Cup Series in nearly 20 years since Willie T. T. Ribbs did in 1986. While he made just the two starts in his career, he did race 142 NASCAR Camping World Truck Series races between 2000 and 2007, notching a trio of poles, two top fives, and seven top tens. Um, Part of the Lester's motivation to return to the grid came from the recent publication of his book, Winning in Reverse, Defying the Odds and Achieving Dreams, that he wrote with Jonathan Ingram. And we talked about that on Monday night. Uh, Definitely worth the read. Lester will start 31st this weekend. Yeah, and he came out with an announcement today, Jay, that uh, the book is now available uh, as an audible book. So fans can go over to Amazon.com and look up his book, uh, again, Winning in Reverse, Defying the Odds and Achieving Dreams, and uh, they can get that audible version 
uh, available just today. So it's pretty exciting that it came out uh, the day before he starts to race in this truck series again. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I know he was talking about some of the things he had in the, in the works on Monday night. That must must have been one of them. Yes. <laughs> and and I know these things don't just come, they don't just happen. They involve a lot of work. As you know, my son is an author, and I've been through a lot with him. And uh, I know how hard it is to make these kind of things happen. So congratulations to Bill Lester on his book. Okay, now Toyota's going to leave the field to green for Saturday's race. After the 1-2 finish two weeks ago at Las Vegas, Kyle Busch Motorsports Toyotas are going to leave the field to green this Saturday, and John Hunter Nemechek starts on the pole with Kyle Busch uh, starting in second. And after the dominant performance in Las Vegas, Toyotas will occupy the next two rows as well with Matt Crafton from Thorsport Racing and Stuart Friesen with Halmar Friesen Racing. They're going to be starting in third and fourth, respectively. And then guess what? There's two more Toyota drivers with Ben Rhodes from Thorsport Racing and Austin Hill with Hattori Racing Enterprise holding down the third role. Now, two weeks ago, Toyota Tundra Trucks took the top five positions in the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series at Las Vegas Motor Speedway, and they did it with four different teams. Kyle Busch Motorsports took the top two positions with Nemechek winning, with Nemechek winning while the team's namesake, Kyle Busch, finished in second place. Katori Racing Enterprises driver Austin Hill was third, and Hallmark Reason Racing Stuart Friesen finished in fourth place. Thorsport Racing. Matt Crafton finished in fifth place. So Toyota actually ended up bookending the top ten because Christian Eckie finished in ninth place and Rhodes in tenth, both of those drivers from Thorsport Racing. So the balance of the top ten was filled by Chevrolet, including Zane Smith with GMS Racing, finishing sixth, Grant Infinger, uh, Grant Infinger's spot Start with CR7 Motorsports, netted a seventh place finish, and Parker Kligerman's first start of the season landed him in eighth place with a Henderson Motorsports truck. So, uh, pretty strong finishes there for Toyota Racing. Well, I got a couple of thoughts there. Uh, one, I want to take a look at my fantasy pick there to see if I picked the Toyota. <laughs> uh, the the other would be whether or not Kyle Busch says, "Hey, this time one two, I want to be the the one driver, not the second one." Yes. Okay. Now, Atlanta, the the Atlanta field will be packed with previous winners of the six different race winners at Atlanta since the two thousand or since the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series returned to the one point five mile circuit in twenty fifteen. Uh, they had a two year break there. Five of them are in the field for this Saturday's Freight Auctions 200. Grant Enfinger won it in 2020, Kyle Busch in 2019, Brett Moffitt in 2018, John Hunter Nemechek in 16, and Matt Crafton in 15 are all looking to capture that checkered flag once again in Georgia. The only winner from that span not entered in the race is Christopher Bell, who was the 2017 winner. 
Of those, Bush is the only driver to have won multiple races at Atlanta, five total actually, as a matter of fact. And Nemechek has won thus far in 2021, that most recent race there in Las Vegas. Now, Crafton leads the pack of previous winners and all active Camping World Truck Series drivers overall in the top 10 finishes at Atlanta with 10. Bush trails with nine top 10s, but leads all with eight top five, all drivers with eight top five finishing results. Bush also has led the most laps at 516, while its Crafton has led 184. A Moffat, with only two laps led, may win the award for the most efficient use of his time getting to a win in Atlanta. Nemechek slightly uh, trails him slightly with eight laps led. Okay. Well, uh, we've got a little bit of time here, Jay. Do you want to give our race-winning picks for the fantasy group with them for racing? All right. Let's see if that'll pull up quick, quickly here on our uh, chart. All right. For the truck series, Andy has Ross Chastain. James has Sheldon Creed. I have uh, one of those, a uh, Grant Enfinger. Mike has Chandler Smith. Owen has Johnny Sauter. Sam has Stuart Friesen. Uh, looks like, Kyle, uh, Sharon, you have the favorite there with Kyle Busch. And then Tommy has John Hunter Nemechek. Okay, so those are all really good picks. It is going to be fun uh, to see what happens. Uh, and uh, I think fans uh, will definitely want to tune in for this one. Again, that race is taking place tomorrow night uh, at Atlanta Motor Speedway. I'm, I'm sorry, it's taking place Saturday afternoon at Atlanta Motor Speedway at 2.30 p.m. Eastern Time on Fox Sports One. Uh, next up, we have the NASCAR Xfinity Series. Do we have a quick minute to give the picks in the Xfinity Series? Okay. All right, we'll start with that then here before we get into it. Uh, Andy took Martin Truex Jr. is making a surprise start there. Uh, James has Justin Allgaier. I'm sticking with it. Break the streak of uh, bad finishes, Noah Gregson. Mike has Brett Moffitt. Owen had Harrison Burton. Sam Riley Herbst. Uh, Sharon has Austin Sindrick, and Tommy has A.J. Allmendinger. It looks like you kind of got the odds-on favorite there again, huh? We could be in trouble. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> I, need <a> huh. good, <laughs> I need a good weekend to catch up here. Oh, well, okay. hey, I had first pick at all these races, so I'm trying to figure out what I did wrong. <laughs> Well, well, we'll see. I was surprised that I, I, I was the fourth pick, and I was surprised that Austin Cindric was still available. I had to take a double take on that one. So I was like, oh, man, I'm jumping on that. Oh. <laughs> okay. But Martin Truex is going to be one to watch for sure, too. So Andy got that one. Uh, he was a late entry, and I, I did miss that. So. Okay, let's uh, go ahead and move on to the NASCAR Xfinity Series. The Echo Park 250 at Atlanta Motor Speedway again on Saturday. So we've got a double header on Saturday, uh, March the 20th at 5 p.m. Eastern Time. The pre-race coverage starts at 4.30 p.m. Eastern uh, on Fox Sports 1. 
Uh, radio coverage will be on PRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. Now, they're going to be racing a distance of 251.02 miles, over 163 laps. And their stages, first two stages, are 40 laps apiece, with the second stage ending on lap 80. The final stage, of course, ends on the last lap, lap 163. So we've got quite a few uh, notes here to start off with in the Xfinity Series. Well, the first one is RCR. They've partnered with ALSCO Uniforms in 21 as they've they've renewed their sponsorship. Uh, Richard Childress Racing and ALSCO Uniforms teaming up. Along with Tyler Reddick's number eight NASCAR Cup Series Chevrolet, ALSCO will be on the number two Chevrolet driven by Myatt Schneider here in the Xfinity Series. ALSCO will be featured as the primary partner on Schneider's car as well as full-season associate partner for both cars. Oh, that is awesome to hear. Uh, also, here's a few uh, Goodyear fast facts. For the sixth race of the Xfinity Series season, the tire utilized is going to be the Goodyear Eagle Speedway radio. Xfinity will have five sets for the race, and it will be the same tire setup that they used last season. Now, the right side tire is a multi-zone tread tire with two different tread compounds on the same tire. The worn asphalt surface of Atlanta Motor Speedway, as we all know, is very abrasive, and it continues to make for some really exciting racing and strategy. Driving style will also come into play because of the way that the track wears on the tires. So tire strategy can make or break a team this weekend at Atlanta. Uh, Atlanta is definitely all about tire wear for sure. Now, on the, uh, for the Xfinity Series, the Snoko Rookie of the Year update, Ty Gibbs took back the uh, standings lead for the Xfinity Series with authority as he finished second. Now, Gibbs has 88 points and two awards. Josh Berry is second in the standings there with 75 points, and Ryan Vargas is third with 54. wonder if that's why Josh Berry had up two fingers, because he was second in the standings. Oh, probably. <laughs> Uh, that, that could be. <laughs> okay, now we mentioned this a little bit earlier that Martin Truex Jr. is taking on Atlanta in the Xfinity Series. Now, last weekend, the Cup Series winner at Phoenix uh, will be hitting the racetrack this weekend at Atlanta Motor Speedway uh, behind the wheel of the number 54 Toyota for Joe Gibbs Racing in the Xfinity Series. Now, Truex competed in the Xfinity Series for 103 races starting in 2001 and until 2010. He has not raced in the series since the season finale at Homestead Miami Speedway in that year of 2010. Of his 103 Xfinity Series starts, uh, Truex has 13 wins, 40 top fives, and 61 top 10, along with 10 pole awards. He's led 1,863 laps and has an average start of 9.2 with an average finish of 11.4. Maybe that's why he's one of my favorites. Saturday's race will be Truex's third race at the Georgia track in the Xfinity Series. 
the race was in 2004 when he started second. The first was in 2004 when he started second and finished ninth. Then in 2005, he started 16th and finished 11th. And this weekend, Truex will be starting from the 18th starting spot in Saturday's race. Well, definitely in a good machine there. That's the one uh, Ty Gibbs uh, took to the second place finish and uh, his win. So he's in a good ride. But coming into their home turf with some momentum, you got Sieg and Jones. There are two drivers from Georgia entered into this weekend's NASCAR Xfinity Series race, the Echo Park 250. Uh, an extra revved up about racing at their home track, Atlanta Motor Speedway. That would be RSS's. RSS Racing's Ryan Sieg from Tucker, and Joe Gibbs Racing's Brandon Jones, who does hail right there from Atlanta. The 33-year-old driver Ryan Sieg and his family-owned organization, RSS Racing, are based in Tucker, Georgia, Sieg's hometown. The team is run by Ryan's father, Rod Sieg, and the duo have competed in the Xfinity Series now since 2013, when they made their series debut at Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Last season, Sieg had a career-best season, racking up seven top fives and 11 top tens, as well as a run at the championship title. This weekend, he'll head to Atlanta Motor Speedway for the eighth time in his career. He's completed 1,042 of the 1,173 laps attempted, which is 88.8%, and has an average start of 174 average finish of 21.3 with his best finish of 11th coming at the track in 2019. Uh, because of his finish the last weekend at Phoenix Raceway, Sieg will start 35th on Saturday with the hopes of moving his way to the front of the pack. I mentioned Atlanta, Atlanta Georgia's own Brandon Jones driving for Joe Gibbs Racing has had a strong start to his 2021 season. In the first five races of the season, he's posted three top fives, three top tens, and an average start of 11.0, and an average finish of 16.0 flat. Last week, last weekend at Phoenix uh, didn't go as planned for the number 19, though, as they were involved in a crash that put them out of the race early. However, with each race at Atlanta, Jones has seen improvements. He'll be making his sixth start there on Saturday with one top five and two top tens. He goes into the weekend seventh in the series point standings, 61 points uh, from the playoff cut line, and he will start 16th for the Echo Park 250 on Saturday. Take a quick look here at the uh, playoff outlook already from uh, following Phoenix. Austin Sindrick in on wins. He's got two already. Almondinger and Myatt Schneider also have wins and should be locked in on wins as long as we don't hit the cap of 12. Then you got Daniel Henrik. Uh, let's see. He's at 108 points. Jeb Burton at 79. Harrison Burton, 69. Brandon Jones mentioned at 61. Justin Haley in eighth is at 56. Brandon Brown, ninth in the standings at 44 points up. Jeremy Clements, 41. And near in the cut line, Justin Algar is only up 21 points. He's got his season going back in the right direction, as does 12th spot Riley Herbst, who is now, and that says 58 points to the good. That can't be right. That's got to be like 18. 
Okay. Uh, next up, we'll talk about Brandon Brown, who is ninth in those series point standings. He's going to add to a very strong 2021 season start. Now, he left Phoenix Raceway with the best finish of his NASCAR Xfinity Series career, which was a third-place podium finish at that one-mile track. Until this past weekend, Brown's best finish in 90 starts was a fifth-place finish at Texas Motor Speedway just last year. In 2020, has been a career season to start out for the number 68 of Brandon Built Motorsports, a small family-owned team. In the season opener at Daytona, he finished sixth, and the following weekend on the road course at Daytona, he finished eighth. Homestead wasn't uh, quite as good to Brown. Uh, he finished 34th in that race and was out of the race early because of an overheating issue. In Las Vegas, he finished 11th. And again, last weekend at Phoenix, he finished 3rd. Brown and his team still have a handful of races without a sponsor, which is amazing when you think about how well he's been racing this season uh, with his family-owned team, and we know how hard that is. Now, Brown finished 12th in the NASCAR Xfinity Series regular season finale last year, but he was able to clinch the final playoff spot based on his points. It was the first time he ever qualified for the playoffs, and it was also the first time for Brandon Built Motorsports in their third full-time season as a team. Now, momentum will be on Brown's side this weekend as he heads to Atlanta Motor Speedway coming off his third-place finish. Uh, But at Atlanta, he had three starts at the Georgia track, and he placed 23rd, and most recently he finished 12th last year. So he seems to keep improving. So let's see what he can do this weekend at Atlanta Motor Speedway. Well, we talked about it with the fantasy picks. Uh, Dude Perfect, as Cindric is reaching new heights in performance. Uh, This weekend marked the second time in Austin Cindric's relatively short career that he's had a perfect driver rating. The first time he accomplished it was at Mid-Ohio in 2019. Uh, This weekend also marked the 15th perfect driver rating for Team Penske in the NASCAR Xfinity Series. Perfect driver ratings are rare. They've only happened uh, in the series 79 times, including last weekend, since the inception of loop data back in 2005. And I don't know what all uh, the loop data categories that combine into that, but 30 races per year for 16 years, uh, again, it's only happened 79 times. So Cindric has done it twice now, Phoenix at last week, and then Mid-Ohio in 2019. Uh, in 18, it was Joey Logano at Auto Club, Ryan Blaney at Texas. In 2015, it was Joey Logano at Bristol, Ryan Blaney at Iowa, and then Joey Logano at Phoenix. In 2014, Brad Keselowski did it at Las Vegas in Loudoun. A.J. Allmendinger did it in Mid-Ohio and Road America in 2013. A pair of road courses, imagine that. And back in 2011 and 10, all four of those were Brad Keselowski, Chicago and Kansas in 11, Michigan and Richmond in 2010. So 15 of those 79 belong to Team Penske. Uh, that tells you something about their Xfinity Series program. 
It definitely does. Okay, let's talk about Georgia on my mind. Uh, the Xfinity Series is racing, will be racing the second day as the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series uh, kicks off a doubleheader at 2.30 p.m. Eastern Time. As I mentioned earlier, uh, the Xfinity Series race racing after that race at 5 p.m. Eastern on Fox Sports 1. Now, Austin Cindric was victorious once again, this time at Phoenix Raceway, earning his second win in the opening five races this year. The driver of the number 22 Penske, King Penske Ford, beat 18-year-old rookie Ty Gibbs by just .360 seconds on the final restart with two laps left. The win marked the second consecutive win on the Phoenix Oval for Cendric as he won there last November and route to being crowned the Xfinity Series 2020 champion. He led a race-high 119 of 200 laps, and he held off uh, he held off the field on three late restarts. So Gibbs, who finished second in the Xfinity race, started out the weekend at Phoenix with a win on Friday night in the Arkham Menard Series race. Brandon Brown finished third in the Xfinity race and claimed a career-best finish for his number 68 uh, Brandon Belt Motorsports team. Riley Erbst was fourth, and A.J. Allmendinger rounds out the top five, uh, but he had also won the previous week- weekend at Las Vegas. To round out the top ten, we have Jeff Burton, Bailey Curry, Justin Aldauer, Brett Moffat, and Jeremy Clements. Uh, the finish actually marked for Curry his first top ten finish in his Xfinity Series career. Now this weekend, uh, again, is going to be the 163 laps. Uh, with two stages at 40 laps each and the last stage ending on the last lap. Now, Cindric will start from the pole with Jeb Burton joining him on the front row. Almondinger will be third, Brown will start fourth, and Harrison Burton will round out the top five. Almondinger is the only current driver in the Xfinity Series with a previous win at Atlanta Motor Speedway, and it came just last season. He will look to get his second win this year, uh, this year, and go back to back. Uh, I don't think any of us picked him, did we? Uh, no, I don't think so. <laughs> okay, uh, let's go ahead and get into the Cup Series, and hopefully, we'll have time to get into our picks in the Cup Series as we transition over to hot topics. Um, Actually, Tommy Tommy has the dinger. Tommy has the dinger. Tommy, oh, he does have the almond dinger. Okay, that's awesome. Yep. Okay, smart man. <laughs> okay, now the next race for the Truck Cup Series is the Bowls of Honor Quick Trip 500 at Atlanta Motor Speedway on Sunday, March the 21st. The time is at 3 p.m. Eastern time and will be televised on Fox with their pre-race coverage starting at 2.30 p.m. Eastern time. Radio coverage is on PRN and Sirius XM NASCAR radio. They'll be racing a distance of 500.5 miles over 325 laps. 
The first two stages are 105 laps each. The second stage ends on lap 210, and the last stage on the last lap, lap 325. <clears throat> I think I'm starting to lose my voice for some reason. Well, we still got a ways to go because we also got hot topics, but uh, here for Atlanta, <laughs> I want to talk about a couple of uh, charities, and I now want to head to Atlanta this weekend, but uh, Speedway Children's Charity is going to host laps for charity at Atlanta. AMS is inviting fans to take the first laps of the NASCAR race weekend and help children in need. The Speedway Children's Charities Atlanta is hosting laps for charity on Atlanta's famous 1.5-mile oval under the lights on Friday, March 19th, uh, as part of the NASCAR weekend festivities. Participants will get to drive their personal vehicle onto the 24-degree bank turns and make three laps around the historic speedway. Proceeds will benefit the Atlanta chapter of Speedway Children's Charities and its ongoing mission to help the children in need. With a donation of $40 per vehicle, participants will drive three laps around the speedway. Gates will open for the event at 4.30 p.m., and donations for admission must be made online. Admission will be not, not be sold on site. Uh, additionally, drivers will be required to complete, compete a waiver and present it upon arrival. Seatbelts seat must be worn by all participants. Uh, attendees will access the event by entering through the infield of the service tunnel located just off of Richard Petty Boulevard and Lower Woosley Road. And follow the signage to check in. Throughout the event, the attendees will be, required to, will be required to remain inside their vehicles and observe guidelines for safety and social distancing. Uh, you can learn more about the laps for charities and to purchase the tickets for the event at speedwaycharities.org slash events slash Atlanta slash laps for charity. Okay. Now, we've mentioned this next one before, but just as a reminder or for those who maybe missed it, the Betty J. Jane France Humanitarian Award nominations are open. Now, nominations opened at the beginning of March for the NASCAR Foundation's 11th Annual Betty J. Jane France Humanitarian Award. It's a recognition that honors philanthropic uh, ideals and the vision of Betty Jane France, the NASCAR Foundation's late founder and chairperson. Now, the Foundation's uh, Betty Jane France Humanitarian Award is presented every year to a NASCAR fan who is a dedicated volunteer working on behalf of children's causes. Since its inception, the award has given $1.8 million in donations to charities representing 40 finalists and impacting the lives of 354,647 children in need. The nomination process includes an independent selection committee of NASCAR's industry leaders who help identify the nominees to be voted on by the NASCAR Foundation's Board of Directors. The four finalists are ultimately selected by the board and set forth to an online fan vote every fall. Now, each finalist will be guaranteed a $25,000 donation to the children's charity that they represent, with the overall winner receiving a $100,000 donation. Nominations will close on Friday, March the 19th. That is tomorrow, folks. So the nomination form and a award rules can be accessed online at nascarfoundation.org for 
forward slash award. Completed forms can then be submitted via email to BJF, think Betty J, Jane France, BJF Award at NASCARFoundation.org or via mail. So since this all closes tomorrow night, uh, there is some sense of urgency to get that done. <clears throat> but we have some milestones well, we to have, watch for, too. Yeah, we have talked about them and uh, said it on here before. Uh, Truex and Bush out front as they're racing to 10,000 laps led. These two drivers are looking to become the 19th and 20th different drivers all time in the NASCAR Cup Series to lead 10,000 laps in their career. Uh, Joe Gibbs Racing Martin Truex Jr. currently has led 9,963 laps, uh, just 37 shy of reaching the 10,000 lap led goal. Chip Ganassi's Kurt Busch is not far behind with Truex, uh, 9,904 laps led, which is 96 laps shy of that mark. Now on their uh, jsky.com, there is a list of the top 20. I'm going to cover some of it here, though, to give you a perspective. Uh, Richard Petty is the all-time leader at 51,695 as these guys try to hit 10,000. Um, of the laps completed, of 307,846, that's 16.80%, and he did it in 1,185 laps. Second is Cale Yarbrough. I'll give you his percentage at 21.8. Allison, and that's quite a drop. Cale Yarbrough dropped down to 31,000. Allison at 27, Bobby Allison at 27,344 was 13.8%. Dale Earnhardt, 25,683 lead, 12.7%. And David Pearson, this will be your top five, 25,159 uh, at 18.6%. Now I'm going to scroll down to where we're looking at Martin Truex and give you his full stat line. Uh, 9,963 mentioned of 155,035, which is only a 6.40% done it in 560 races. Kurt Busch at 9,904 out of 203,433 is a 4.9%, and he's done it in 731. Uh, let's see, a couple more here. I wanted to hit the high I think I saw was... 20, the percentage-wise was 24.20, belonged to Junior Johnson, 15th on the list, and only 313 races. Bobby, Bobby Isaac, another one, 18.6, did it in only 309 races, leading 13,000. So interesting list there to look at. Again, you can check it out on jsky.com. Okay. Next up, we're going to talk about Stuart Friesen racing the number 77 Spire Motorsports car in the Cup Series debut at Bristol um, Bristol on the Dirt. Now, Spire Motorsports announced this week that Stuart Friesen will drive the number 77 car on the Dirt at Bristol Motor Speedway on March the 28th with Hallmark International as the primary sponsor. The car will be adorned with Friesen's traditional Hallmark colors and will be prepared for competition by Spire and led by crew chief Kevin Bellacourt. Now, Friesen will have a full schedule on Bristol Dirt this spring, 
In addition to the NASCAR Cup Series Food City Dirt Race on March the 28th, Reason is also competing in the NASCAR Camping World Penty's Truck Race on Dirt on March the 27th. The World of Outlaws Late Model Series uh, Bristol Bash on, October, on April the 9th and the 10th, and the Super Dirt Car Race Car Series Big Block Modifieds on April the 23rd and the 24th. So he's going to be a busy guy. Friesen, who also has over 330 career wins in dirt modified racing, won the last time the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series raced on dirt at Eldora Speedway in 2019. So he could be one to watch for, uh, not this weekend, but next weekend's race at Bristol on the dirt. All right, and the last note we got here, Jeff Foxworthy is going to bring the laughs to Atlanta Motor Speedway with the pre-race show. He's a Georgia native, and he's bringing his popular comedy act to Atlanta Motor Speedway with a pre-race performance on Sunday, March 21st. The fans in attendance for the Folds of 400 Quick Trips, uh, Folds of Honor Quick Trip 500 uh, will enjoy his Foxworthy's observations about the humor found in everyday life during his performance on the pre-race stage. Admission to Foxworthy's show is included with every Grandstad ticket for the Folds of Honor Quick Trip 500. Foxworthy is the largest selling comedian comedy recording artist in history, a multi-Grammy Award nominee, and best-selling author of more than 26 books. I did not know he had 26 books out. Okay. Georgia native and series champion Chase Elliott returns home this weekend at Atlanta Motor Speedway. The 2020 NASCAR Cup Series champion and Hendrick Motorsports driver Chase Elliott uh, is also had the opportunity to become the second driver in series history from the state of Georgia to win at Atlanta Motor Speedway, joining his father and NASCAR Hall of Famer Bill Elliott, also known as Austin Bill from Dawsonville, with five Atlanta Cup wins. Since the last time the Dawsonville, Georgia native, uh, Chase Elliott competed at Atlanta Motor Speedway, he went on to win the Cup Series title last year and claimed the Most Popular Driver of the Year award for the third consecutive season from 2018 to 20. Now Elliott heads back to Atlanta, uh, ranks sixth in the series driver standings after posting two top five finishes in the first five races this year. Elliott has made five starts at Atlanta, posting one top five and four top tens. He finished eighth in the NASCAR Cup Series in Atlanta at the Atlanta race last year. No, okay, sorry. Uh, we got less than three minutes now. <laughs> yeah. Why is that? Okay. Uh, Martin Truex grabs the first win of 2021, adds his name to the playoff and all-star list. Snapped a 29-race winless streak last weekend at Phoenix Raceway. Uh, Joe Gibbs Racing's Martin Truex put every cup competitor on notice for when they come back to the Valley of the Sun, where they'll settle the series championship in November. Truex not only locked himself into the postseason with the victory, but also added his name to the 2021 NASCAR All-Star Race, which will be at Texas Motor Speedway on June 13th. Truex joins fellow 2021 season winners, 
Front Row Motorsports' Michael McDowell from the Daytona 500. Is Joe Gibbs Racing teammate Christopher Bell on the road course at Daytona. Hendrick Motorsports' William Byron from Homestead, Miami. And Kyle Larson at Las Vegas as the five drivers already with tickets to the playoffs. Now, this weekend, the 2017 NASCAR Cup Series champion, Truex, is looking to keep his momentum rolling at Atlanta and, just like Phoenix, add to his wins list. Truex has made 22 starts at Atlanta, posting five top fives and ten top tens, finished third in the Cup Series Atlanta race last season. Okay, now real quick, I'm just going to briefly tell you that Kevin Harvick is another driver to watch this weekend at uh, Atlanta. Hopefully he'll bring the first victory uh, for this season for Stuart Haas Racing. Uh, He is the defending winner of this race at Atlanta Motor Speedway, and uh, right now he's tied with Kurt Busch for the most Cup Series wins at Atlanta Motor Speedway among active drivers with three wins apiece. But he also could extend Ford's win streak at Atlanta this weekend, the longest consecutive win streak by a manufacturer in the Cup Series, is four victories. Both Ford and Chevrolet have accomplished that feat on three different occasions. So uh, definitely keep an eye on on uh, Kevin Harvick this weekend. He leads a lot of the stats in loop data categories. And also Denny Hamlin uh, continues to hold the series points lead. And what else do we have? Oh, yeah, the streaking of five different winners to start the 2021 season. We've got an article coming out from Jay on that, which is coming out tomorrow. And then... Um, of course, the Cup Series drivers are going to heat things up in the Peach State this weekend at Atlanta Motor Speedway. It is now nine, 10 o'clock, and that means it is time for our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off. And joining us for our Hot Topic Conversation tonight, tonight is Tommy Kraft. So welcome to the show, Tommy. Thanks for having me back. Well, we're pleased to have you back. Unfortunately, we couldn't fill the other open seat tonight, but that only means that either we're going to have more hot topics or more to say about the topics that we do bring up. Uh, But, Jay, before we do that, uh, let me have you give our uh, Cup Series picks for Atlanta Motor Speedway. All right. For Atlanta, on the Cup Series, Andy took Chase Briscoe. James has one of the favorites of Kevin Harvick. I'd like to think Chase Elliott. My pick is also there. Mike took Kyle Larson. Owen has Joey Logano. Sam with Kurt Busch. Uh, Sharon has her favorite there, Martin Truex Jr. And Tommy there has Brad Keselowski. So that is our picks for that. And while you get started here, Sharon... I'm going to try and call back in. My phone's starting to act retarded, and I don't want to get kicked off later. So I'm going to try and call back in real oh. quick now. Oh, okay. I'll have Tommy uh, start us off with the first topic then for tonight's right. conversation while you do that. Okay, Tommy, uh, what are uh, we going to talk about here tonight? Talk about LeBron James being added as a partner of Fenway Sports Group. Yeah, this is pretty exciting because uh, we're seeing that happening more and more. In fact, 
there's also, I'm going to bring up also uh, some other teams that are bringing on some uh, exciting sponsors. If I can find it here real quick. Um, Let me see if I can find it here real quick. I know that um, little Aaron uh, for SS Greenlight Racing at Atlanta Motor Speedway is uh, going to be there to support Joe Graff Jr. this weekend in the number 07 of the uh, uh, Xfinity Series. So we're seeing more and more of that happening. I like it. I think it's a good Good idea. A lot of these are happening because the drivers are reaching out to some of these celebrities, and they are responding by coming back and and donating, uh, you know, investing, if you will, in the Cup Series drivers uh, that uh, they're working with. So uh, Joe Graff Jr., I know, also had Antonio Brown. There was another driver with oh, Brian Vargas had Kamara on his uh, hood. So this is just another one in a series of drive of uh, sports celebrities that are getting behind the drivers. And I like this trend. I hope we see more and more of that trend. It's a nice crossover, I think, uh, between NASCAR and the uh, and the rest of the sports world to see a lot of these people are uh, coming on board. And it wouldn't surprise me to see other celebrities besides the sports world uh, kind of support some of these drivers. It it just takes a matter of uh, some of these teams reaching out to them and asking. And you know what they say, you know, you have to ask in order to receive. So, (laughs) Jay, what are your thoughts about LeBron James coming on board as a sports sponsor uh, this weekend? Well, it's gonna have to it's gonna have to wait and see. It depends on what role they come into it. Uh, we have seen it in the past, uh, and I know we talked about this already. Even when Jordan came in, and some of the others we've seen, Michael mm-hmm. Jordan is at the track every week. He was a race fan coming in uh, back in the day when we saw Randy Moss Motorsports with the Truck Series. His name was on it, but I don't know if anybody ever saw him. Uh, you know. So to me, that's the difference there of what level of involvement there is as to... Now, that's not to say in the case of, say, LeBron James, if he is putting his name with an investment, that he's not doing things outside of the track of bringing in sponsors or or setting things up. Uh, Again, that could be a unique situation. But right now, the standard we've seen set is the guys that are very involved, hands-on, so we'll have to wait and see what role LeBron James does play and, again, what the benefits of it are down the road. I just don't want to see ones that attach their name to it just so their name is attached versus actually being involved. Okay. And we are seeing that, but I'll go over it when it's, when, when it's my turn. So, Tommy, I'm curious to know your thoughts about LeBron, LeBron James. Well, I think this is awesome because um... – Maybe he'll invest money into that uh, Fenway Sports Group, and uh, maybe then uh, Roush will have more funding, and they can they can be more competitive on race day. And then maybe after a while, LeBron will get involved in the sport of NASCAR. So I think I think this is really cool. I think this is awesome for um, 
for everybody. But uh, the other team I wanted to bring up is uh, Floyd Mayweather. He's trying to get involved, and I like his name for it, the money team. Um, so I, I really hope he does get involved in the sport too. I remember 50 Cent was involved at one point as well. Uh, I know he was at a like a Daytona 500 a couple of years ago. I remember that. Uh, I feel like isn't uh, Blake Shelton? I think he's involved in it too. So there are a lot of celebrities out there that are getting involved, and I think that's that's awesome. Um, I want more fans, and I want more. I want more competitive cars with drivers that need to be in competitive cars. So I, I think this is amazing. I think it's going to work out hopefully for NASCAR. I definitely think it is a smart move on a lot of these for a lot of these teams, and I'll tell you why. I think what's happening uh, in some cases, maybe not in all cases, but it helps to bring a little more parity to the racing on the track. I think when you get a big investor like that that comes in. Now, just to be clear, LeBron James is actually investing in the Fenway Sports Group, which is part of Fenway racing, Fenway, uh, Rush Fenway racing. So uh, his investment is actually part of that whole Fenway sports group. So it is a little bit different. Uh, but, again, I think it's exciting to see a lot of these people come in. We also saw Pitbull uh, be involved in sports with the racing team, so uh, with track house racing. So I, I think – uh, some of these guys are getting involved in a big way. When you think about Pitbull being a co, uh, co-owner with uh, that track house racing with Justin Marks, uh, that's definitely being involved. Uh, I know with Antonio Williams, he was coming to the racetrack to be supportive of uh, Joe Graff Jr. Uh, and looking for how he can help support him from a financial perspective and looking for new opportunities for him. So uh, he was getting very actively involved. Uh, Kamara, uh, I think that's how you pronounce it, uh, he was involved with uh, uh, Ryan Vargas and, and his team in a very active way. Uh, I just think this is a great trend that we're seeing, as I mentioned before. And I I think we will see people involved in a very active way. But we're also going to see people like LeBron James that are supporting the group as a whole uh, with his investment in Fenway Sports Motorsports Group. So uh, I think it's a positive for the sport overall. It's a positive for these drivers that are reaping the rewards of those benefits. And uh, I know that some of these drivers um, were actively involved in reaching out. And I know what Joe Graff Jr. told us is that it was part of um, uh, his doctor, uh, a doctor that he's working with that, uh, you know, a lot of these drivers go to uh, psychological support for for getting that winning attitude, if you will. And uh, it's not just NASCAR drivers that are doing that. It's football players that are doing that, too. And that's how uh, the connection was made is they were both going to the same doctor. So I, I, I really think this is a wonderful, wonderful thing. So, Jay, I'm going to step off my box now and go to you. 
Well, uh, you know me, and I'm generally enthusiastic. I'm an optimistic about a lot of things, but I also hang out with Mike, so it kind of pulls the other way too. Um, <laughs> so since he's not here tonight, I'll represent him a little bit. No, I, there is definitely <laughs> there is definitely the potential and good things that could happen from it. It's a matter of whether or not it does and come to fruition. Uh, a couple more that I thought back of the uh, Hall of Fame racing that tried to come in. Yeah. You know, you can't just put your name out there and then expect it to happen. Uh, so, and, and Tommy brought up Floyd Mayweather. You know, that's one I've been excited about and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. <laughs> that's the kind of thing I have the concern about. Um, and some of the ones that we have seen not be successful in the past. And as I see it and believe, I think that is why is because they thought just putting their name out there would make it happen, and that's not how it happens. Okay. Uh, so, Tommy, what are your thoughts about that? Um, I remember Dan Marina racing, too, back in the late 90s. Um, that was another one. But I just still think it's really exciting, and I, I see the, the potential there, too, and I just hope that it works out because there's a lot of people talking that they want to get involved i mean michael jordan's involved now and you brought up pitbull and uh alvin camara uh bernard Poller, he's bernard pollard he's a huge fan now too so I, I really hope that they do get into nascar and invest and and get sponsorship in any any way they can help i think would be awesome and i hope that it does trend that way and it works out Okay. Okay, we're ready to move to the next topic. So, Jay, I'm going to go to you for that one. All right. I know I've put up a couple again today here. Let me see what uh, what we're going to pull next. Um, yeah, I put oh, quite a few I out of there. What's that? I put quite a few myself out. Looking at the uh, looking at the dirt uh, dirt race at Bristol, as I've told you, this has been a roller coaster for me. I'm excited about it. I'm concerned about it. I'm excited about it. I'm concerned about it. Unfortunately, right now we've hit that concern part. If you haven't been following the Dirt Track Nationals there, the couple weeks worth of racing prior to the Cup Series, uh, there's been some good racing, but there has been some wrecks and some torn up race cars. <laughs> Okay, Tommy, your thoughts? Uh, I'm still super excited for the trucks and the uh, Cup Series on dirt. Uh, I feel like there is definitely the potential that it'll be a uh, wreck fest, but um, I still think it's going to be really entertaining and unique and interesting, and uh, hopefully... Hopefully it works out and it isn't like that. But um, maybe the heat races will help out with that too. They'll have all the practice in, so that way maybe it won't be a wreck fest. But um, every you know they haven't raced on dirt in years, so it, it's definitely going to be unique and the potential for a lot of wrecks. But um, I'm I'm still super excited. I can't wait for all of it. There's there's so many cup drivers now in the truck that that's going to be amazing. <laughs> yeah, that's exciting as well to have the cup drivers, so many of the cup drivers uh, that are in the truck series uh, for this particular race. But 
let me just say, I, I said this before, and I'm going to repeat it again. I've had my, my concerns, if you will, about this from the beginning because of the banking. This is not a traditional dirt race. Uh, the banking at Bristol Motor Speedway, I know we talked about it before, and, and they're saying with so many heat races and all the racing that's taking place by the time the Cup Series races, it's going to be pretty compacted. That's going to present its own challenges, especially on a track that is banked. Um, these guys are used to racing on dirt tracks that are flat. They don't typically race on a dirt track that is banked. So I think that's why you're seeing the demo derby in the Bristol Dirt Nationals that are taking place this week. And I think that's why we're going to see the same thing when the trucks and the Cup Series race there uh, next week. And the heat races, it's going to end up taking out some of these drivers before they even get to the main event. So I hope they're bringing a lot of backup. Uh, power, and uh, we'll have to see what happens. But I'm expecting a demo derby at Bristol Motor Speedway with the dirt on this bank surface. And uh, and even if it's, it, it gets compacted, it's still going to be a rough pass because it's going to be super slick, and these guys are going to be slipping and sliding all over the place. So it's going to be interesting, I will say that, <laughs> and it's going to be fun to watch. So, Jay, what are your thoughts? Well, and you mentioned the banking, and I know we talked about this, and I did hear an actual number to it. Uh, Bristol is 33 degrees banking. The way they have done the dirt, they made it, brought it down to a 19 degrees of banking. Uh, so they, they tried to minimize that. Um, my concern is when you talk about a lighter car, such as the Crate Late Models and the Modifieds that have been running there this week along with the uh, street stocks, uh, these are the guys that run weekly on dirt tracks. Like you said, not, maybe not quite such a bank track, but they're the regulars. So you're talking about bringing a cup, a cup car, a heavier cup car, as well as the trucks. Uh, yep. Not looking, not looking good in that. In that, with a, a lot of them not having a whole lot of dirt experience. Uh, I will say this: uh, when it comes to that talk about supporting a track and all that of you know if you if you're going to talk about it you should be out there supporting it well after saturday with the late model race i'll let you know what it looks like from the kowicki terrace seats uh eight and nine i believe no row eight <laughs> seats one and two okay i i'm not going to talk bad about it and say i'm not going to watch it i'm going to be there uh for the for the late oh, model okay. race on saturday um but I expect to probably see a little bit of carnage. <laughs> okay. Uh, Tommy, your comments? I'm just still super excited. And uh, it, even if it is a wreck fest, I'm still, it's still so unique. And they've been hyping it up, and I'm just ready for it. Uh, the, all those cup guys in the trucks now. I can't wait for that too. And uh, Jessica Friesen, you know, and Haley Deegan. So who knows what will happen? And um, you're right about the heat races too. Hell, they're all probably going to be a backup car starting in the back. But maybe, maybe that'll be an advantage too if it is a wreck fest. If all then they can just after everybody wrecks out in the front, they can they can wreck out. Yes, this is going to be racing like we've never seen before, uh, except for maybe at the Bristol Dirt Nationals. But like Jay said, this 
these are going to be lighter cars that are racing this week. Uh, when these heavy cup cars get there, it's going to be a whole new ball game. And 19 degrees of banking is still banking. Um, so I just think it's going to be it's, – I'm with you, Tommy, all the way. I'm excited for it. I'm excited to see all the different people that are coming on board to race these races. Uh, but uh, I think even the most experienced dirt racer is going to be challenged at Bristol Motor Speedway on dirt. So, Dave, your final thoughts? Yeah, you're right. The excitement is definitely there. Uh, It is one of those as as a track. uh, One of the first tracks I actually went to to a race, I will say this, I don't care if they're they're racing go-karts or wagons or something, if you get the opportunity to go to Bristol, go to Bristol. Uh, we talked about the Speedway Charity event at Atlanta. I have walked on the track at Bristol for that same reason. I don't remember if the price was the same, but um, got to walk with the likes of uh, Rusty Wallace. I know it was one of them. Brian Vickers, I think, was involved. Bristol is a unique facility, uh, the last great Coliseum, and I would go there to visit it for, like I said, any reason if you get the opportunity. Uh, I am looking forward to it. Like I said, it's been a roller coaster for me. And unfortunately, we're talking about it. Weather's a factor uh, as of tonight going into this weekend. I know that's been a concern for the cup race. So we'll, we'll have to see. Hopefully that all pushes through as well. We'll have to all keep our fingers crossed. <laughs> Okay, let me see if I can find another uh, hot topic here that we can talk about. Uh, Oh, you know, they've been talking about the possibility of moving the number from the door to the rear corner panel. And I wanted to get your guys' thoughts about it uh, because I've noticed uh, we've already seen that in some of the other uh, racing series, and I'm trying to remember which car it was I saw this on. I know I posted a picture from uh, Twitter. Um, So let me just see if I can find that while we go to you guys. Uh, But they they have had this in some of the other series with the number on that rear corner panel, and it seems like it's worked out well. So... What are your guys' thoughts about moving that to allow for more uh, room for the sponsors? So, uh, Jay, we'll start with you on this one. Well, and I I think this was already last year when we had this, because I believe it was for the uh, all-star race at Bristol where they actually allowed that for the first time in Cup Series, if I'm not mistaken, that that they allowed that during the all-star race at at Bristol. Um, I'm one as as a fan – What's that? They did that last year. You're right. Yeah, okay. I I knew we had had this conversation. As a fan, I I really could care less. As an announcer, uh, I'm trying to think who it was that was on the morning show, the morning drive this morning. Uh, One of the reporters or something, they said that as long as it has a number on it somewhere so the car can be identified. And as an announcer, yeah, (laughs) that's a a must-have have that car number on there somewhere. Um, For the sponsors, I can see where playing around with that or moving it could certainly be a a benefit. So for me as a fan, like I said, doesn't matter. 
announcer, as long as it's on there somewhere and it's standard for each car, I will say that. When you when talk about going to local tracks, there's not a mandate of every car. It has to be in the same spot. So I like the fact that NASCAR says, hey, if we're going to do it this way, it's uniform. Everybody's going to be in the same spot. I like that. Um, but as far as the location then, if that's what the sponsors need and that's what's driving it, then by all means do it. I'm not opposed to the change, but it also isn't going to change my view of racing because, again, it's the number. Okay. Uh, Tommy, your thoughts? Uh, well, after watching it at the Bristol uh, race last year, the All-Star race, um, it, I'm I'm fine with them changing it too. Like, if they decide to not change it, then the number gets to stay the way it's been, and I'm fine with that. But if they, if the sponsors want to have more sponsorship room, then move it to the back because I didn't think it looked that bad at the Bristol uh, race last year. I thought it looked uh, better than it was. I remember before I watched the race thinking, oh, I don't want them to move it. I want it to be the same. But then after seeing it, I was well, it's not that bad. And um, it's still basically, they only moved it back a little bit. Like it's barely, I mean, they, it's almost like they barely moved it. So I'm I'm not against them moving it at all um, if they want to do that. But as I said, if they don't, then it stays the same, and I'm fine with that too. Okay. I I think I'm okay with it as well. I've got a couple of examples of photographs. I don't know if you're on Twitter or not, Tommy, but I'm going to go ahead and retweet a couple of these tweets uh, so that anybody listening might be able to uh, uh, follow along with what I'm saying. But here's one. Here's the fabulous Hudson Hornet with uh, the number placement uh, very similar to what they're talking about doing. This is an old-time NASCAR uh, with exactly the numbering on the rear corner panel as well as the front quarter panel. And then the um, uh, sponsorship information on the side of the car. Uh, But they also did something else unique. They've got the number on, on the top corners, front and back, uh, as well, and it's pretty big so that it can be seen uh, pretty well, too. So there's that picture. And then another one that I'm going to retweet here uh, that shows uh, it doesn't actually have the numbers on here, but it shows how the sponsorship uh, packaging uh, can be shown for some of the newer uh, cars. Uh, and this shows uh, the Coca-Cola car, a DeWalt car, and the Shell Helix car, uh, and how that sponsorship can be enhanced uh, by moving the car number to a different location. And they've got here; they've got the number up on the on the front window, uh, over by the driver's side, and it's also on the back uh, window. Uh, the back rear window, not the window that goes across the back of the car, but on the back, like, left side, uh, you can see the car numbers. So it's a little bit different placements of the car numbers in those examples. So just to give fans an example of an example of what we're talking about with some of these cars uh, and giving more space for the sponsorship uh, uh, promotion, 
that's what this is all about. And I have no problem with the number as long as we can see that number as fans. I think that's important. Uh, but even more important is making sure that the spotters can see that number when they're helping their drivers on the track. So that's the only concern I have on it. I, I hope it's big enough uh, placement in a place that the spotters can see it. So, Jay, what are your your uh, follow-up comments? Yeah, you brought, a, you brought up a very interesting – you brought up a very interesting point there of – the spotters, uh, you know, I said from the from the announcer standpoint, which case I think that you know in a NASCAR again an attempt to at least remain standard, the one on the roof would be the one to remain the most constant and the biggest. Uh, when you're talking about seeing it, say from the stands, that would depend on the track. You know, a short track like Bristol, you're going to be fine no matter where it is because you're going to be that close. But on a track like Daytona or Talladega. Uh, there you're talking about needing it to be a little bit more uh, pronounced in, a, in an area that you can view where you can't necessarily see the roof of every car. Uh, and as you mentioned, like I said, the spotters, it, it is very key. You're right. Um, but I do like some of the things that we've seen, and if you've watched any kind of uh, other racing, enduro racing, the, I know the Australian uh, V8 Supercar Series have ones, and I think a couple of those pictures that you have, might one of, one of them at least might have come from, or that style anyway, uh, where it's on the on the windshield. Now, on t- when you're watching it on TV, there that's where it comes into play because as a, as the production team can focus on it when they're showing the car, uh, so fans can relate. At the at the track, I think is where you'd run into the issue if it's on the windshield or on the uh, quarter window or something like that. It's the fans at the track that might not be able to see it as well. So. Uh, again, I have faith NASCAR is going to make a, a prudent decision for the fans, for the sponsors, which I think that is where it's coming into play. And I understand why, what what they're looking for as far as getting their money's worth on the car. So I think that an agreement can be made. And I think ultimately it comes down to two groups of people, one that want, want to see change and, and whatever, and then you have that group of uh, – Oh, how do I say it, that just rebel against change. They like things the way they are. They don't want to see change of any kind, you know, because this really, to me, isn't that big a deal. <laughs> it really isn't. Um, but okay, I know that let me some jump in say, here, Jay. Oh, yep, go ahead, go ahead. I was I was wrapped up anyway. Oh, okay, let me jump in. I've only got uh, less than 60 seconds now. Uh, we are at that time of our show where we are going to go off the air at exactly 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time. We like to alert people just in case there's a new listener out there wondering why we're going off the air mid-sentence. Just know that we are continuing to record the rest of the conversation as part of our overtime bonus material that's available on our podcast. So, uh, again, if you've listened up to this point, uh, what I'll do is go out on Twitter when we're done just to let everybody know that the podcast is available. You can go choose a show then and fast forward to the two-hour mark to hear the rest of the conversation, uh, which is typically around 30 minutes or so. So, uh, again, we just want to alert you uh, so that you're not taken off guard. Uh, and that's going to happen here in less than 30 seconds. So, uh, Tommy, uh, did, or first of all, Jay, did you have anything more to say? 
No, I say that was actually, I was good with that. Okay, so Tommy, we'll go to you next. Uh, I, I don't think it's that big of a deal either. Um, it's just, they're just moving the number a little bit. But uh, you do bring up a good point about the spotters not being able to see the numbers and that, that being an issue at uh, Daytona and Talladega for sure. But, uh, our, you know, the Bristol All-Star Race last year, I guess, like you said, track so it wasn't an issue there and they can see the numbers still but um nascar will make the right decision and either way i'm fine with it like i said either it's going to stay the way it is or they'll just move it back a couple of inches or feet yeah i agree with you guys uh all the way around uh and jay you brought up the fans not being able to see uh the pit crew uh you know any number of people uh, the, the important thing, and, and I agree with you guys, NASCAR will make the right decision here. They've got to make sure that all of those people can see the car number easily, uh, whether it's on the top of the car or on the side of the car. Uh, they've got to make sure that everybody can see that car number because that's important. Uh, other than that, I don't have any other things to say on that. So, Tommy, we're back to you for the next topic. Tommy, are you still with us? Uh, let's do the uh, Dale Jr. doing the uh, iRacing. Okay, Dale Jr. made an announcement that he's coming into iRacing, so uh, I guess I'll go next on this. Um, I think it's pretty cool to see that happening. I think that, uh, the iRacers are going to love it. Uh, and I know that Dale Jr., back in his days when he was kind of hiding out in the motor coach home, uh, that's what he was doing is he was racing, And that's where he found drivers like Martin Truex Jr. and brought him into NASCAR and, and other drivers. So I, th- I think it's a really good thing to see Dale Earnhardt Jr. going uh, racing. And I think the drivers are going to love it. The fans are going to love it. And I think that uh, uh, if he's looking for the future uh, drivers to come into NASCAR, I think uh, you've got a good eye there with Dale Earnhardt Jr. Uh, behind the wheel of an iRacing car. And uh, I think it's it's uh, a very positive thing. And they did show a picture of his car. Uh, let me see if I can retweet that one. Real quick. Uh, oh, shoot, I can't. Here it is. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and see. Actually, I'm going to have to put it out as a, as a tweet uh, here on Twitter. So uh, let's go to the next person. Jay, what are your thoughts? Well, they say this is where your career takes a nosedive if you say anything negative towards Dale Earnhardt Jr., right? <laughs> um, let me let me start going back to when the iRacing thing really became big was during the COVID. We weren't allowed to race. NASCAR came on board, Fox, I believe it was Fox, a TV partner. Uh, it might have been NBC. I, I don't remember which. And they did the iRacing thing. I understand it was a substitute. To me, it was not a very good one. Uh, Total throughout those, I watched a total of maybe 10 minutes of that. It's just not my thing. Uh, So that aside, 
for the sport, I see it as it is a good thing. There is, like you mentioned, the, the scouting of some talent. We've talked about some of the drivers that have come out of iRacing. Martin Truex, that's how Junior found him. William Byron, that's all he had done. Yeah. Uh, so there is benefits to it. Junior being involved in it is going to expand that. When it comes to talking about it or asking questions about it, don't ask me because I'm going to tell you I probably didn't watch it. But that's just me. <laughs> uh, so, again, it's not anything bad or negative against Dale Jr. It's just iRacing thing is not my thing. Um, but I know that especially with this generation, that's where the fan base is, as well as, again, the different things. Uh, I know it did some great things for uh, publicity as sponsors and things like that. So on that aspect of it, I'm for it. I just won't be the one involved with it. <laughs> okay, Tommy, what are your thoughts? Uh, I'm glad he's doing it again. Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised because I, I think there's four open spots and he's one of them, so they've got like three more. I wouldn't be surprised if Bobby Labonte's in it because he was in all of them um, last year too, I feel like. So that, that, that would be awesome too. I like the legends, or if that's what you want to call them, I guess the the old heads. I'd like seeing them in there. Even Gordon did it. He was terrible, but um, it was, it, <laughs> I thought they were entertaining. I, I enjoyed them, and I'm glad that they're still doing some because it did attract quite a bit of a fan base. And um, I hope that it translate over to great other races on Sunday. But yeah, William Byron was really. Was, is really good at eye racing, and so is Timmy Hill and all them. Um, of course, Timmy Hill's done, not in very good equipment, but uh, William Byron's got a few wins now, so it does it does show that there is some talent to it. Um, but um, and I, also I like that paint screen, the degree car. I like how he's not even he's not even racing anymore. He still has different sponsors. <laughs> uh, but uh, and it's. It's also cool how Junior brought back um, – he's really into this racing stuff. He even brought back North Wilkesboro last year for them to race at. <laughs> that is awesome. Okay, those people who are Dale Junior fans are going to love the number 88-degree car. Um, I think uh, that was a really clever sponsor uh, push there, and uh, I think uh, Dale Jr., is going to bring a lot of new eyes to the iRacing fold, and uh, it's going to be uh, a win-win-win-win-win all the way around uh, for everybody. And uh, uh, I can't wait. Now, he's got listed here the schedule. Uh, March 24th, he's going to be racing on Bristol Dirt uh, on Fox Sports 1 at 8 p.m. Eastern. Um, I'm thinking, hold on now. This schedule is this uh, is this an yeah, that should be schedule? before. I believe so. Is the twenty fourth okay, should be next Wednesday or Thursday? Wednesday. Wednesday. Okay. So yeah. Okay. This is all okay. So Wednesday, March the twenty fourth, he's racing on the Bristol Dirt on Fox Sports One at eight p.m. Wednesday, April 21st, it's Talladega on Fox Sports 1 at 7 p.m. Eastern. May the 5th, again, another Wednesday. All of these are Wednesdays at Darlington on Fox Sports 1 at 8 p.m. Eastern time. May 19th at Coda 
That's going to be exciting on Fox Sports 1 at 7 p.m. Eastern. And on June 2nd, the track to be determined, but it will be on Fox Sports 1 at 8 p.m. Eastern. So uh, this is uh, pretty darn exciting, I think, news for uh, especially Dale Earnhardt Jr. fans, uh, but I think for anybody who is enjoying uh, the the iNASCAR racing. Okay. So, Jay, it's now your turn. Oh, wait a second. Well, again, there Okay, go ahead. Yeah, there, there are some cool aspects to it. Uh, Tommy mentioned there the North Wilkesboro. Uh, for fans that haven't seen that historic track, you, you talk about, um, you know, and that might be one that I do choose to watch at least a little bit of, say, Coda, of seeing what a cup car looks like on that track and getting a feel for it in preparation for the real thing. Uh, so, and, and Tommy also mentioned, hopefully that the the correlation, you know, if you become become involved in the eye racing portion of it, that then it transfers over to fan attendance, uh, you know, and and the sport as a whole. So, again, I see benefits to it. Uh, I'm already a fan, so I don't have to go through that though. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, Tommy, your final thought. Um. Uh, they made Dale I race and made Dale Junior like um, I can't remember is he like vice president or is he kind of like what Steve Letard is yes. fire like a consultant? But yeah, either way, he's, he's involved. It's it's awesome. They couldn't have picked a better person because he like he even likes bringing back other tracks. Like I feel like they they bring back as much as they can, which like I said, it's just. It's awesome. Like Myrtle Beach Speedway is now. I think they're going to tear that down, but um, that's on there to race set. Uh, and another thing that he did with North Wilf- North Wilkesboro that was cool. You know, I've only rode rode by and saw the abandoned. I didn't get to see it when they last raced there, but it kind of looks like that in the pictures. Like they even had like the red and white buildings and wall and stuff. So they did a really good job with it, and it's just amazing that he can do that. But uh, I I just want the people that are really into the eye racing to really get into the actual stuff because it's so much it's better. But I do I do enjoy watching the video games too though. The best part is the reset button, right, Jay? <laughs> yeah. Well, what was that with Raja Caruth? I think I asked him that if the if first time out on an actual track, if he was like, "Can we reset?" <laughs> <laughs> he said he was going to ask his crew chief for that button. Okay, uh, Jay, it's your turn uh, for the next hot topic. Well, I, I saw this one. I think you put this up, Sharon. The uh, and again, I, I was aware of it. Um, the COVID detecting dogs at Atlanta—they're uh, getting a trial trial run there at Atlanta. Uh, you know, to me, it's it's similar to they use uh, different types of dogs as far as at airports as well for various reasons. Uh, generally speaking, it's a drug sniffing. I don't know how they are going to detect the COVID, but. Uh, that's something that's apparently come up and is an issue. Okay, Tommy, your thoughts about having the dog sniffing dogs as a trial at Atlanta to sniff out the COVID virus? 
Uh, well, um, I didn't. I didn't really know there was an issue uh, 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 yet, but um, I was just gonna say I think that it's if those dogs really can detect if you have COVID or not, that is really awesome. That is cool. I don't. How do they train a dog to do that? But I mean, it's not surprising because they can sniff out drugs and stuff. But that's just wild that they can um, detect who has COVID or not. But I definitely can see where there is the, the risk there because if the dogs are wrong. But what I believe I saw is, is if, if the dog does detect that you have it, that you have to get tested by the doctor to see if you actually do mm-hmm. have it because the dog could be wrong too. So, um, I mean, I don't feel like NASCAR is going to do anything to put put anybody at risk. But, um, I mean, maybe, maybe it'll work out and uh, – probably will because the dogs are smart so maybe they'll get it all right yeah I think this is a good idea there's dogs that sniff out cancer as well they train dogs are specifically trained uh, to sniff out that particular smell whatever that is and they've been successful at doing that uh, and now we've got dogs that are specifically trained to sniff out COVID so uh you know, what some fans are complaining about is they're citing the Fourth Amendment and violating their rights. Uh, Bob Pockris, um, uh put out a comment, though, saying that's for, you know, a criminal situation. The Fourth Amendment applies to police searches for criminal activity, not searches done by a private security for a business. Uh, and so the Fourth Amendment is not applicable in this particular case, and it's actually helping everybody um, and not violating anyone's right if they identify somebody who has the COVID virus. Uh, If I had the COVID virus and a dog sniffed it out, I'd be so happy (laughs) that he was able to tell me that so that I could go get it taken care of. Uh, so I don't understand why they're complaining about it, uh, but that's what kind of brought it to my attention is that there were people complaining uh, about their constitutionally protected right, uh, and, uh, you know, they were opposed to having the dogs there. But this is a good thing, I think, for everybody and uh, we should applaud NASCAR taking that step. I'm curious to see how it works out for everybody uh, because, as Jay mentioned, this is a trial run to see how well it works. And, uh, Tommy, you brought up the point that, you know, if they do sniff COVID, uh, these dogs are going to be able to alert everybody so that it can be addressed. And those people are going to be sent to a doctor right away for his evaluation of that situation. So I think uh, it's definitely a positive thing that NASCAR is doing. Uh, And now I want to see what happens this weekend and how it works out. So, Jay, what are your thoughts? Um, Sharon, since this is your radio show, I'll ask you if I can say people are stupid. Because I don't want to say it if you don't think I should. Um, just well, to clarify. I think you just did. <laughs> oh, okay, my bad. Yeah, uh, no, this is this, it's ridiculous. Uh, from the from the whole Constitution side of it, yeah, that's just absolutely ridiculous. Uh, and it says here after an, after an alert by the dog, the individuals will be isolated, subject to a compre- 
comprehensive secondary screening by the American Medical Response, or AMR, safety team's lead physician. So you mentioned it, uh, you know, and I'll just say my house. If you're going to come in my house, I say, if you're going to come in my house, I'm going to do this. You know that coming in, you got no argument. If you want to come in my house, that's the way it is. You know, if I tell mm-hmm. you you got to take your shoes off, or I tell, you know, so, you know, from that aspect, I don't see where they have any kind of argument about that. My concern would be more so of people that are afraid of dogs, okay? That's where my concern would come in um, from that. But overall, looking at, looking at this and reading through it, uh, going back up to the top of this article, and this is on NASCAR.com, it, you know, if this is one of the ways, if, you go, if you've been anywhere where they have any kind of procedure to check you in before you go in, you're, you're eliminating time, manpower, uh, the process, because some of them are very thorough that, of how they check you before they allow you into a certain area. So if this is, you can get, and I, I would say get by because you're not sneaking by them, but if the dog is one that can give that early detection, it's going to minimize all that um, and just pull out the isolated ones that they have detected something. And then, like Tommy said, it's going to be a doctor that determines it. It's not based off of the dog. So, uh, like I said, uh, it's sad to see because I'm sure it's a possibility, as everybody is already talking about before it even happens, of a lawsuit and this and that. And, like I said, I think that's just ridiculous. Okay. Tommy, your follow-up on that. Yeah, I think the dogs are just going to be there to sniff out COVID. I don't think they're going to be there to sniff out anything else. So, um, But uh, you do bring up a good point. What if you're scared of dogs? I mean, I, I work in the insurance business, and um, I can only think if a dog bites somebody, which is, those dogs are so well-trained, I don't see that happening. But if it did, from the insurance perspective, I don't know that's not going to be a good, good lawsuit <laughs> for them to pay. But um, uh I still just think it's awesome that a dog can detect COVID. So um, I don't see where this goes wrong, and I hope it goes hope it goes well. And um, I'm interested to see how it'll play out. But uh, I don't think there should be any issues. Leave it to an insurance person to think about that. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. a good point, though, Tommy. <laughs> but I really, I really think that these dogs are trained and uh, not to bite individuals. The only scenario where I can think of if the dog were to bite an individual is if the dog feels that it's being threatened. Uh, So hopefully people won't be silly enough to do that, uh, and this will all work very well. Uh, But uh, um, hopefully... Uh, people will respect the dog, and the dog will, dog will respect people. That dog is trained uh, to do something that is very beneficial for the, the greater good, and um, I think that's a positive. And like I say, I'm just waiting to hear, you know, how it goes this weekend and if there are any complaints and what those complaints might be, uh, if they're as, as silly as some of the ones we're already hearing or if there's something else that does happen that we're not thinking about now. So, Jay, what are your thoughts? Yeah, like I said, that would be my concern. You know, again, if something were to happen with the, with the situation with the dog, more than likely it is because of the actions of the individual. Now, and I, I'm going to... 
not name a name, uh, somebody I know that, like I said, is a little more terrified of dogs, whether they get scared or whatever, but normally there too, I don't think a dog would react to that. It's if they feel threatened or, or you know, uh, motivated out of anger or whatever um, from the person. So uh, as long as you're cool, they're going to be cool and do their job. Like you said, they're, they're very well trained. And I don't even know then if, it, if it's a, a specific for a sniffing dog like that of what their training is as far as attacking, which there should be no need unless you're fighting against it. Um, and maybe NASCAR has something that, that they say, hey, if you're really opposed to having a dog around you, come through this screening area and we'll do it manually or, you know, with machines and, and whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so they might even have that option available if you really truly are afraid of dogs. So, uh, you know, and it, maybe that evolves into the next time of that option of a line for that, you know. Um, I will say this. Again, it's not, a, not like it's a big deal. Uh, I want to say it was Minneapolis. It was a, what do you call it? I don't know, like a glass air tube that they send around you rather than a a police pat down or or anything like that. I went through that once. They pulled me out in my bag for metal. They wanted to know if I had handled guns or weapons or whatever. Turns out that metal had come, I'd been golfing, and it came off the golf clubs. Yeah, it took an extra five minutes, but that also, you know, you know that they're doing to protect you. You know, that's what I think people Mm -hmm. don't understand is they're doing it to protect you and everybody else so that we can all come to the racetrack. I mean, that's the ultimate goal. Exactly. I just, so you, you didn't answer my share, my question, Sharon. Am I allowed to say that again or not? <laughs> no, I think we're done okay. doing that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Um, we'll let that be the final word on that. But I do want to bring up a subject that uh, Mike Orzel brought up on our Hot Topic uh, channel, and that is uh, a lot of you will recall last year there was a crew member that died in a, a terrible car crash uh, in the Keys, and uh, it was late last year. Well, they, uh, the autopsy information came back, and apparently he had a blood alcohol level of 011 Plus, he had marijuana in his system. Uh, now, Bob Pockers came out with that information. As we all know, Bob Pockers is very thorough and uh, takes his responsibility as a journalist very seriously in reporting what he feels to be newsworthy information. Some people took this as a slant or a slam, I guess, uh, to a tragedy that happened uh, and not understanding where Bob Parkhurst was coming from, I think. But I wanted to get your guys' thoughts about that and uh, whether or not Bob should have uh, reported this. So, Jay, I guess we start with you on this one. Are you there, Jay? Uh Uh-oh. Where's Jay? It sounds like we lost him again. Okay, so Tommy, I guess we'll go to you. <laughs> I you just say, I mean, it was all. Okay. It was already. Is, is Jay back home? No. Yeah. Oh, I just think that it, it's just sad news. Um, it, it makes it even even worse. I don't. I. 
if I was in Bob's position, uh, I don't. I'm not too sure. I don't. I don't know if I would have shared it, but I mean, I wouldn't have been giving him a hard time about it. I mean, he is just doing his job. But um, that's. I feel like that it it is kind of personal, but I also understand that he's just reporting newsworthy stuff from NASCAR. So I mean, it it it's unfortunate that it is what it is, but. I mean, that's kind of how it is, and he's already done it at this point. So, I mean, there's no need to, to give him a hard time about it. I mean, he he could always take it down if it does become a, a bigger problem. So that's the way I look at it. Okay. Well, I think um, Jay got booted off again. And, of course, once you get booted off after uh, the 1030 time frame, we can't get you back on. So, um I'm kind of razzing him a little bit, uh, asking him if he's doing it on purpose because it's happened so often with him. But uh, really, I'm just kidding. Uh, But I do want to uh, uh, just say I I agree with you. I don't – it's sad that that happened. It's it's horrible and terrific. Terrifically painful, I'm sure, for the family. But here's the thing. Uh, there are HIPAA laws, and as long as it was reported publicly, uh, you know, as a journalist, you do kind of have an obligation to go back and report the rest of the story. A lot of people wonder what the rest of the story is, and so um, if it's reported publicly and Bob Parker picks up on that, and I know he does look for that information, then um, I, I think it's important that he does kind of report back. As horrific as it is, as painful as it is to hear, it, it is the rest of the story. And we all are saddened um, by that crew member's death. Uh, so, you know, everybody understands the gravity of this situation. Uh, but I think there's also a benefit to reporting it to kind of alert people to the dangers of driving while you're under the influence. Uh, It is dangerous. And you are putting your life in someone else's hands. Um, You're you're certainly putting your your life in that person's hands. So I think there's a benefit to him reporting it from that point of view as well. So maybe Jay will tell us on our, our Hot Topics channel uh, what his thoughts are on this topic. If, I don't know that he can hear where we are, but I'll watch and see if he does post anything. But what is your... I just understand the both points of views. Like I, the family probably doesn't want that information out. I understand that. Um, but Bob is just doing his job. So, and he, he, and y'all, you guys are right. I was just going to add on that this just shows that you, you shouldn't drink and drive. Um, shouldn't do it. But um, I mean, other than that, it's just it, it was already a sad situation, and now it's just more sad, and it's brought back up, and then now it's it's you know it's it's worse. It's not a good situation. So that's the only reason why I see maybe he shouldn't have brought it back up. But at the same time, he is just just doing his job, and hopefully this just promotes awareness too that um, you shouldn't drink and drive. 
Yeah, and that was Jay's points too. Uh, he did say, sad to see, but hopefully it serves as a public awareness message. Uh, and, and that's kind of what I was saying too, is that uh, it, it serves as a reminder to everybody that it's not really uh, a good thing to do. And I know um, we all need to be reminded of that sometimes. So uh, that's a good thing. Um, now, let's I guess that's the last word on that particular topic, uh, and we are at the top of the hour trying to decide. Oh, okay. Yeah, he's trying to figure out why he keeps getting booted off every week. Uh, so we'll try to get him working on that so that it doesn't keep happening. But, uh, Tommy, let's go ahead and do our roundtable before we sign off here and uh, talk about anything. I know we've got your Bristol dirt race piece that will be coming out after this weekend. We'll have that out sometime next week. Is there anything else that you're working on? Uh, I have not worked on anything else yet, but um, my dirt article will be coming out soon and um, still working on getting my social media. Uh, need to get that updated so that way I can give you my Twitter handle and stuff. But um, other than that, just um, thanks for having me back on the show. I really appreciate it. Well, we enjoy having you on the show with us, Tommy. So thanks for being here. And uh, Jay is uh, MoparMJ8 on Twitter. Uh, and I think just Michael J. Huseman or Michael, yeah, Michael J. Huseman on uh, Facebook. And I don't know about Instagram, but I know he's on there. Um and we did public. We are publishing tomorrow an article for Jay on uh, the ten uh, uh, the different winners, the streak that's going on right now with the five different winners in the first five races, and some of the records that can potentially be broken uh, if uh, this streak continues throughout the next six races and maybe beyond that. So uh, look for that article. Uh, to be coming out on Fan for Racing tomorrow. Uh, we've got it all uh, edited and ready to go, and uh, we'll be publishing it tomorrow morning. Uh, I am, and I've, I'm sure Jay's going to be at a racetrack. Uh, <laughs> he does announcing at the racetracks. He mentioned he's going to be at the uh, Nationals, uh, the Bristol Nationals on dirt. Uh, so there's a couple of things that I know he's going to be doing, so watch for uh, Jay's comments on those uh, places uh, that he's going to be involved with this weekend. Uh, I am Fan for Racing site on Twitter and Fan for Racing blog and radio everywhere else, including our website, fanforracing.com. Uh, I do have an article that I did not get published today uh, from uh, Owen, and that is for the uh, power ranking uh, this week, so I'm going to try to also get that up uh, sometime tomorrow, and that's for the NASCAR Cup Series, so watch for that power ranking to be coming out. We do have uh, Sam's recap of the Phoenix race up at com. You can see that there, and um, we've got a lot going on uh, with the racing this weekend. I want to just mention uh, in addition to uh, the three races with the uh, Atlanta at Atlanta, again, there's the winter showdown that's starting on Friday and will continue 
throughout the weekend. And then also IMSA is racing Sebring this weekend. Uh, that started on Wednesday and continues through Saturday. So uh, even more racing available for fans. So definitely uh, keep your eyes out for that. Uh, so with that, a big shout out to our listeners for tuning in. We appreciate you taking time to hear what we have to say. We did have Bill Lester on. I'm sorry, I've got the hiccups. We had Bill Lester on last Monday talking about racing in the trucks this weekend, as well as his new book. We had Bridget Burgess on earlier tonight during the uh, first half hour. Uh, she's racing with BMI Racing in the ARCA West Series. She talks about her race at Phoenix. And the fact that uh, this is the first uh, female uh, driver and uh, mother-daughter team uh, that is in racing. So we're definitely excited about that. Next week we have Joe Graff Jr. on, on Monday night at 9 o'clock. And then Isabel Robusto from Rev Racing, she's racing the Advanced Auto Parts Weekly Touring Series. She will be on on Thursday night at 8.40 p.m. next week. So with that, Tommy, I think we're ready to say goodnight to all of our listeners. Uh, thanks, for Gavin. Uh, thanks for having me again, and uh, have a good night. Okay. Have a good night, everybody. Enjoy your race weekend. And we will talk to you on the other side. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.